The images for this episode can be found on joedeclassified.com slash forum in the podcast section, and one image can be found on yojo.com in the pre-production forum. Links to everything will be provided in all the podcast threads around the community. This episode is split into two parts. So when the first team signs off, stay tuned right after for the second half of the episode with the second team. At the time of this recording, the retaliation fines at Meyer had not yet happened. So please keep in mind that the declassified team is basing their thoughts and ideas before the Meyer find on April 13th, 2012. And now, episode five of Joe Declassified Spec Ops. This recording may contain language and or content not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Tonight, on a very special Joe Declassified Spec Ops. The past, the present, and the future collide as not one, but two teams of Declassified unleash unproduced concepts, confirm answers to a 25-year-old mystery, and provide a look into the previously postponed but potentially eventual future of the G.I. Joe brand. This and much more in over two hours with over 100 images. This is the hidden world of G.I. Joe. Welcome Welcome to to Joe Declassified Spec Ops. and welcome to episode 5 of Joe Declassified Spec Ops. We are an irregularly scheduled podcast about the hidden world of G.I. Joe. My name's Gary Goggles, a.k.a. Gyre Viper. I edit about half an hour of myself out of each episode, so if you think I talk too much, you really have no idea. Uh, with me tonight to go on and on about whatever it is we're talking about this episode is Declassified's personal Xandar impersonator, the one like the Roshan. How goes it, sir? It goes well. How well does it go? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of personal. And chin-stroking live from his man cave in Utah is Mr. Jared, a.k.a. Jamin Stone. Hi, Jared. How you doing, Gary? I'm good, I'm good. How's everything by you? It's actually a compound. Oh, it's a compound in Utah. (laughs) (laughs) We are also joined by what's on Joe Mine's very own snow job aficionado, Mr. Gary Godso, the commander-in-chief himself. Good evening, Gary. Hey, Gary, how you doing? I'm good, Gary. How are you? Fine, fantastic. Just happy not to be editing something right now. Yeah, how was uh, how was rollout roll call? I haven't been able to ask you in person. It was fantastic. It was a fun time had by all, especially with noted author author James Cavanaugh. Yeah, wh- well, what's better, uh, JoeCon, CoilCon, or rollout roll call, or CanadaCon? Oh well, JoeCon still takes it all, but uh, it was a very enjoyable time. That's cool. Good guys. And sitting to Gary's left at the What's on Joe Mine news desk, he wears a ski mask in the shower. It's Mike, alias Beachhead. Hey, Mike. What's going on, fellas? How are you, Mike? How's the world? I'm doing fine. How's the world treating everybody this week? Fine, I suppose. It's been uh, a lengthy week. Lengthly right. week? Yes, it, yes, it is. I am, I'm glad to be here for part two of the Nanobat episode. <laughs> uh, or is that not what we're doing tonight? <laughs> I'm out of here, guys. I, I can't do this anymore. I can't do that. <laughs> it, it, will, it, will, it will be nice to sit down with you gentlemen and not talk about the nano, but I, I will say that. 
not that the not that the nano bed was not good, but but man, I I tell you that that night we got done with, the, with with recording that thing, and for the next three days I could just I could hear uh, Pat Stewart saying nano bat in my ear. It was like I was turning around expecting to see him there. That that kind of hallucinogenic stuff. So it's part, all part of the exhaustive process here at. Uh, that Joe declassified Spec Ops. Yes, if we don't if we don't ruin the hobby completely, we'll at least ruin one unproduced figure for you. Ruining the hobby, one unproduced figure at a time. There, there That's you right. go. Uh, also with us, and for no good reason at all, is Thompson, aka Chris Murray, who might be the only person I talk to more than myself. How's the weather, Chris? It's nice and sunny. Thank you for asking. Hola, mi amigos. Hola. Hola, Chris Murray. And he recently topped the box office last weekend. Mr. Jay Hunger Games is here. What's up, Jay? How you doing? Good. How are you? You get a lot of Hunger Games jokes. You know, I, I'm the only one that's really making them, especially because the second book's called Mocking Jay. So doing stealth searches on Google is just shot now. <laughs> I had no idea. That's probably more more than I want to know about the books. But wow, that that's uh, that's unfortunate for you. <laughs> My middle name is Twilight. You can imagine. <laughs> we could use that as the as the subtitle for the show, even. Which what? My middle name is My Twilight. Classified spec ops mocking Jay. <laughs> 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 uh, now we have a quick introduction to get out of the way. He's been on the podcast twice, but you'd never know it because he's been edited out or simply didn't stay to record due to conflicting circumstances. Finally, after all this time, it's Tim, a.k.a. Tolan. Uh, introduce yourself, Tolan, again, and hopefully for the last time, as I've grown weary with asking you to introduce yourself. How you doing, Gary? Thanks for uh, welcoming me to the show. Um, my name is Tim. I've been collecting shows since uh, late 88. I kind of dabble into uh, all the numbers and uh, minutia of uh, what there is in G.I. Joe, uh, paper-wise, box-wise, vehicle-wise, and figure-wise. Um, I currently am hunting almost 99% of all the U.S. vintage vehicles for variations and have a small collection of uh, international jobs. Now, do you want to you give us an example um, that people listening might be able to relate to as to your uh, your ability to look at the numbers in G.I. Joe, kind of like, um, you know, Neo sees the Matrix, uh, kind of like uh, with the serial numbers on that uh, prototype tank that was just on eBay. What, what can you kind of, without going into too much detail, Give us, give everyone listening an example of as to how your brain works in this regard. Well, from pre-production to actual production level items, Hasbro has cataloged consistently different types of numbers from assortments, numbers that go into boxes, um, instructions, actual uh, casting on vehicles and figures, as well as. Uh, like the tank that just was on eBay last week, it has a production number as well. And it catalogs what what year, basically, what number of production it uh, is set up for, and what type of item it is in the pre-production stage. I mean, I've, I've been to your house, and I've seen your... Um... My mess. <laughs> eh, we've all got messes. That's what makes us collectors. But, like, I've seen your your... You've got enough blueprints to pretty much wallpaper your house. Uh, what is it about the numbers of G.I. Joe that has you so enthralled? Well, I, I, 
just trying to find out how they've progressed because, I mean, initially everything came out from, came to the United States market before it ventured out otherwise. And I've just kind of noticed, you know, some of the subtle changes as it gets out of the United States and as it kind of goes towards the international level, you know, just, just in seeing how variations are meant and transform as they get produced whether it be for quality control, whether it just be just the use of different materials or plastic. Okay, but what's something you can't seem to get an answer for? Like, what's something you can't seem to explain with these numbers? Or, I mean, is there anything that you've kind of come across that you're just kind of stuck on? There's a lot of numbers. Um, It's just, I mean, I have a bunch of lists myself that, I mean, I still, you know, to this date have three or four lists for, you know, instructions, boxes, vehicles that, you know, just in the United States that are elusive, that I haven't been able to, you know, pin down why why there's a change. I mean, mostly it's simple with, you know, errors in, you know, construction or quality control, but I haven't found, I mean, it probably exists in the international market, but I haven't delved that far yet into it nor do i want to that could be somebody else's hobby well thank you tim um and that brings us to our special guest host for tonight if you don't know who he is you're lurking the wrong forums uh it's mr brian kaufman or as you probably know him gi joe's four-letter word nova hey brian how's life welcome to the podcast thank you uh thanks for inviting me Uh, i'm brian kaufman also known as nova uh, or that guy who collects crystal ball. Um, I'm actually playing with my balls here now. So, um, ah. um, and he's so, got his figures out too. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, but I'm, um, introductions wise, um, I, I'm a collector. I'm a customizer. I set up and sell stuff every now and again. Um, I'm kind of known for outlandish, wacky ideas, and among that is army building crystal ball. That's really it. Uh, you know, normal collection, normal, everything else, I'm easy. That's too easy. Um, so why do they, or rather, why do you call yourself Nova, for anyone that's unfamiliar with you? Uh, Nova is an old high school nickname. Um, if you saw American Pie, um, you know, you can introduce yourself as Nova, as in Casanova. And, uh, and then after that, it turns into Novagina, because that's just what happens when you introduce yourself as Nova, so... All right, well, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on. (laughs) All right, so basically, this is what's going to happen. We have a lot of things to cover, but we are going to be split up into two teams, give or take, for this episode. So everyone that's on here tonight is going to talk about what we've got in store for you, the listener, and then Pat, a.k.a. Not Picard, and I, uh, maybe some other people, are going to record another portion of this episode at some other point in time, hopefully within a couple days of recording this now, and then I'm going to kitbash it all together into one Frankensode. So if, if things seem kind of strange or you're listening and trying to figure out where the heck Pat's voice is coming from, that's what's going on. I, I'll do my best to edit it. So it uh, ba- basically, it, this is going to be salty as nuts to edit, but I'll figure it out. Uh, but just fair warning that Pat will be on this episode, even though right now he's not on this episode. Uh, so yeah, um, let's get started. Chris Murray, as you might recall from our first episode, took us on a tour of the unproduced Cobra Island playset. 
Well, tonight, Chris has kindly offered to share with us, and you, the listener viewer, another unproduced playset. Chris, do you want to tell us what you can uh, or cannot about this playset and how you came into it and what your initial thoughts on it are, uh, what your first impressions were upon seeing it, that sort of thing? Well, the playset in question is the Arbco playset. It's an active chemicals for active people. Basically, ARBCO, as you know from the comics and the cartoon, is an acronym for uh, for the COBRA. And this was something I picked up from a, a, a fellow collector who got it from a guy who got it apparently from uh, the Christie auction in 94. We're talking about the art, right? Not like an STD? Correct. Okay. That's correct. He got his STD from, uh, from Thailand. A different story. So... Yeah, so apparently this art was donated to uh, the Chris, uh, by uh, Hasbro to the Christie auction to, to raise money for their uh, the hospital charity that they do. So uh, some people have might have seen this in the past. It's on the uh, like the, the top little banner for uh, Joe Intel. Uh, Dan Moore, who owns Joe Intel, put it up there. So it's not actually on the archives yet, but it's up there. So if you're just kind of watching the panels, you know, flicker past, this pops up every once in a while. This is a uh, the, actually the largest art piece I own in my collection. I just measured it because I forgot how big it was, and it's actually 29 inches by 33 inches in size. And we're still talking about art, right? Yes. Once again, the uh, the other thing we'll be talking about later, just you and I, is once again something I got in Thailand. Got so. I have that la- list of uh, that Christie's auction, and it looks like it if it's the right one, it only sold for like uh, sixty dollars. Back in 94. Wow. What else was in that auction? Like what a bunch else? of stuff. Thank you. I'm glad you're being so specific. <laughs> but there was, there was, I mean, two, there was paint masters <laughs> in that auction. Yeah, there's like 191 items that were on auction. I sent you a list. Okay, hey, Tolan. Okay, number one was. Number two was. Let's get all. Let's get through all 192. <laughs> An episode in itself, just pissing off collectors by telling them how cheap that stuff went for. So, so Tim, what a... What else were in, what, just some examples of what else is in those Christie auctions from when this went up for sale? Um, there was a bunch of art, uh, Again, concept drawings. so specific you are. Did you want uh, me to be specific? I'm sure if I asked you for all, like, it wasn't, the, for, it wasn't just prototypes, it was just, there was also some, uh, produced items that went to, right, Tim? Yes, it was, it was three, three-quarter inch, 12-inch animated cells from the Sunbow cartoon. Costumes there was, from the commercials. Costumes from the commercial, um, licensed lots of uh, non-toy or non-toy. If, if anybody's interested, there is uh, a complete scanning, a scan of all the pages of the catalog uh, on JoeIntel.com. They on the archives, as well as as well as a copy of the sales prices, so you can see how much all the stuff sold that, for in nineteen ninety four. That's kind of what I was what I was hoping to get at with that. So I'm glad that you uh, put that out there. The active chemicals for active people. Has that appeared anywhere else that anyone's familiar with uh, in G.I. Joe on a file card or the back of a box or some sort of marketing material? Like, is, Or is that singular to this, uh, this concept art? As far as I know, that's the only place I've ever seen it. Because I mean, it's I mean, as far as other Arbco things go, are there any? Is there anything that has Arbco's name on it in the comics or anything like that, or um, anything toy related or marketing related again that uh, that has sort of a slogan under it, kind of like that, kind of like something you would see, um, 
you know, and G.I. Joe Renegades, you know, with, with Cobra being sort of the, you know, the, the overseer of your community type thing. Uh, is there anything else like that elsewhere? Has anyone seen anything like a slogan? Well, yeah, there was, there was all sorts of stuff in the comics. Arco, Circus, Movers. Well, yeah, but I mean like an actual like slogan. The, slogan. the slogan, no. The slogan is, I, I think it's uniquely uh, to this because I have not seen it. Yeah, I just, I just love how it's like active chemicals for active people. So it's supposed to have that sort of, you know, facade of being sort of uh, – a not spin, basically. Yeah, Legit. but a positive spin. But then it's above artwork that has just guns firing, oozing weapons. It it may. I mean, if you look at the piece, it it's pretty clear that it's a a, a prototype or a predecessor of the Toxo Lab. And if you look at the '92 GI Joe catalog, the photo of the Toxo Lab, it had a play mat, and you can still see where it says Arbco on the play mat. So it may have continued on at least that far into the development of the Toxo Lab. Wow. I didn't even... Is it? Where is there a picture of that? Uh, Yo Joe has that uh, catalog in their catalogs archive. All right. So for anyone listening, if you want to go uh, check that out, what, what what's the first thing that comes to mind when you guys look at this other than uh, Toxo Lab? Eco Warriors. <laughs> uh. End episode. Well, all right. So, so what year is this concept? So, this concept uh, was created in March of 1990, and of course, that predates some of the other uh, more. I mean, you know, you'd think that you know they'd be making sort of bio vipers and whatnot in here, but that can't be because that's later, correct? Yeah this this predates the uh, the, the the like the, the monster viper and the bio viper concepts by two years. I was going to say, where, where was uh, Headman? It kind of reminds me of that episode of Headman where he's making all the drugs and falls in the vat or gets, or what was it? He gets sprayed with a bunch of drugs and he freaks out and dies. No, I mean, that's, I mean, but that's a completely different concept. I mean, this would have been Eco Warriors and, you know, that's DEF, so. Well, yeah, but. I noticed that when you look at, in the center, the thing called, uh, that's labeled three, the compressor unit, Hasbro had a line called uh, Air Commandos, and yeah. it looks like that... Air Raiders. That, yeah, Air Raiders. There you go. Thank you, Josh. That that center could be a uh, use of some of their uh, air-powered uh, things. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I think I, I, I went looking for some of this on earlier today, and like I was looking to see if, if Hasbro had any lines that had slime, and I couldn't find anything that had slime in it in Hasbro's past so i'm wondering if they couldn't get a slime going that that's that's why this thing kind of morphed to water they could have gotten some well, from mcdonald's apparently well, i mean i mean the one thing about slime you gotta remember is this was done in 1990 and nickelodeon you know had double dare and you can't do that on television and you know they were nickelodeon was slime and it was like really popular with kids and nickelodeon was actually producing items was selling slime so I think one of the ideas on this possibly was to uh, kind of, you know, slime was already a marketable, popular idea, and maybe they're just trying to use that, you know, use that to sell this. When did the uh, Snake Mountain from E-Man come out? Didn't it have slime? Josh? No, uh, Slime Pit, Snake Mountain didn't have it. Slime Pit had slime, and that was 80, 85. So that was okay. long before that but Mattel used that with other products too which Hasbro didn't really have anything like that in the 80s speaking of the air raiders 
looking at that uh, at the green tubes, that is just exactly what the Air Raiders tubes looked like. I mean, without the, the little black specks going through, but like to simulate the air. And that the, the, the compression mechanism would have fit right along with that uh, the stuff they used with Air Raiders. So Tim is probably pretty right on with that. And Chris, Chris, I had a question also. Is there any chance this could have been a modular set where this could have come with a figure and been like split up into three different mini play sets? I mean, it, it looks like it could have, but I don't think they would have done that because the pieces by themselves aren't standalone. You know, you, you they each one needs to, you know, attaches to the other one. The extraction is only good as long as you have the spintrifuge. And the spintrifuge only works, you know, as long as you have the energizer. And, like, the energizer doesn't have the guns, the playset. You know, it, it, it's it's a small little com component. So I do not think it would have been three modular pieces. I think the whole point of this was to be one to be one playset. And I think they looked at this and said, that's cool. It's way too big. And it, you know, ended up getting uh, shrunk down to uh, the Toxo lab. Uh, Jared, uh, why don't you take us through uh, on the, um, on the legend, take us through uh, one through eight and just read off what it says on the legend. Um, and obviously everyone listening can read along and uh, we'll talk about them as they, they come along their, uh, their purposes and anything about them that strikes us. Especially if it uh, hits home with our uh, childhood sensibilities if this had been released. All right, number one, extraction vat separates glowing rocks from the rest of the slime. As far as that, as far as that vat goes, all right, so one is plugged into the pump, which is three, and then goes into two. So that, that those... Well, okay, the, the, I, I, the pump, that, I don't think the pump did anything to number one. Number one was a gravity feed. You dump no, I, the mixed stuff in the hopper on the top, open the valve, and let the, uh, the, the, the fluid, which was the slime, drop out the bottom, and the rocks would have stayed in the hopper in the top. But if it was, if the if you pumped air into it, it would make the slime bubble. Yes. And that would, in theory, make the the, the slime flow a little faster off of the the rocks. So I mean, I think you could absolutely have the the pump make the slime bubble and then still drip out the bottom. But here's here's my question: It's what is it extracting? Because I mean, if, I mean, if you just pour it into the extraction and then it comes out the bottom into a container. What's the point? You're just sort of, I mean... I think the point is fun. <laughs> What's fun about, like, pouring the same thing into another thing? You throw the slime in there, you do some pumping action, you get bubbles, it's gross, it's disgusting. It's we're, we're still talking about the art, right? <laughs> yes. You know, I think yes, we're, we're not talking about what you and Chris do. In Thailand. Thanks, thank you. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves because we're talking about number well, one and number three does number one. But the well, slime that comes my, out of it would have been used to shoot out of the cannons, which is number eight. Well, that was sort of my point. <laughs> that was sort of my point. That's kind of why I want Jared to, to go through this one, a step at a time to show how – when you look at this playset, just kind of looking at it, you kind of don't maybe initially see how much of it actually relates to the next part, um, which kind of touches on what you said when Josh asked if this was modular, um, that it they're, they're all so sort of related in what they do that – you know, on, on, on a marketing level, it would have been a ton of fun for kids, but um, I think it is a lot of work to go into one playset um, as opposed to just shoving a microphone on Snake Mountain. Um, all right, uh, Jared, do you want to read number two? Uh, toxic drums, catch filtered slime residue. 
again, though, I don't know what it's filtering into or from, but uh, maybe it's, it just... It's, it's filtering the glowing rocks. So you figure you get your, your cup of slime plus rocks from the store. That glow. And you, want, you want your glowing rocks out of there to make them glow, so you have to filter them out of the slime. And your mom doesn't want that slime being filtered through the carpet. <laughs> Go to three? Yeah. Compre- compressor unit, forced ram, air, <laughs> intervat, making slime bubble. <laughs> Thank you, Barefoot Jedi. <laughs> All right, so the compressor unit, if, if number three, the compressor unit, has nothing to do with one, then what does three do? Well, we now know from reading the legend that number three is very important to number one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my point. You can be taught. <laughs> this is coming Just from the guy. I own this doesn't mean I remember <laughs> <laughs> show prep the Show prep But yeah That's a different kind of show prep Chris Murray everybody Yes thank you I had to dig this thing out I've been looking at that little picture That you guys are looking at That I honestly forgot how big it was And I can actually read all the text on here That's like drawn on the sides All the cautions What is it Arbco Industries You know all that stuff That What does it say above the What does it say on the landing on the empty corner landing on top on the second floor of the by the spinterfuge. It, it says Arpco Industries. Number four, walkways. Link stations together and can break away for full tilt action play. So do you think they're booby traps or do you think this is like a faulty uh like you know like uh you know accidents happen? It probably would have been booby trapped, but I really oh, like man. how they're trying to make it sound more interesting and more fun than it really is in that legend. <laughs> kind of like this podcast. Well, hey, man, they got to sell it, you know? That's a good point. Well, you know, and, and I was going to say just off the top of my head, you know, this is this uh, was drawn in 1990. Batman came out in 89. I could see myself, uh, you know, dropping my Joker yep. figure into the bat and, and uh, you know. That's exactly what I was thinking, actually. I was wondering when Batman came out. Yes, I mean, I would have totally used this as the, uh, what did they call that place? The Access Chemicals? Oh, this would have totally been a great Access Chemicals playset. All right, number five. Spinterfuge. No, Spinterfuge. Okay, hold on. All right, Spinterfuge. Okay, I got it, sorry. <laughs> I was, never Spinterfuge. Rocks left in bat moved to be Spinterfuge. Clean of all remaining slime. Also cleans figures after battle. Wow, so I totally misunderstood what this thing was. I thought this was kind of like a like a, a negative version of like the Bacta tank from Star Wars or something that you put the character in and you spin him around to torture him or transmute his molecules, but apparently it's actually to clean things. It's a yeah, you fill it up. yeah, you fill it up with water, you turn the crank, and the cleans your guy full, you know, of slime. It's handy. But, Drinking all weekend, they throw up all over themselves, you throw them in the vat, you clean them off. It, it reminds me a lot of, like, I remember I had an old uh, Matchbox car wash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you'd crank it through and you'd pump some water and then you'd spin it around to dry it off. And, and that really, you know, I mean, and even looking at the way that handle is, like, I could see, you know, if instead of, you're thinking crank it and it will spin, but well, you could go back and forward on it, and it would just, you know, washing machine the figure inside there, and you would be agitated. Well, and as far as that handle goes, you got to remember this was just a concept. So, 
you know, they could have made it smaller so it could go all the way around. This is just, you know, initial drawing. Number six, Energizer. Charges light absorbent rocks in central laser chamber to power M up for fuel and weapons. So it's battery operated. And going. They basically threw everything in this. Every play feature they've ever thought of at any point in time. Dude, this thing is dope. I'm, I'm loving it. I wish I had it in my collection. Well, read, everything about it is cool. Read, read number, read number, uh, read number seven real quick, since they're so directly related. Interpumper circulates charged fluid between stations. Universal plugs allow it to hook up to multiple points. So, do you think that? Do you think that it really would have been sort of that it would have lit up with moving seven, or do you think it was more of a? It spins around like. Um, uh, like a maybe a foil sort of thing where it, it's just shiny and spins around. I bet those those hoses were filled with with a, a liquid and they were basically uh, sealed. So like when you're when you're playing with the energizer, stuff moves in the hoses, but they don't actually go into the energizer. But if you look, I, I bet you you could have connected those hoses to other parts of this playset or something. Maybe that's what they're trying to say. So as you're playing with the energizer, the lights and stuff in the hose and the fluids moving in the hose, you, you know what I mean? It's like a self-contained unit. They could have had some kind of another pump system to, you know, just pump air bubbles through those hoses back and forth. And, you know, there could have been like food-colored water in there, you know, to make yeah, it how do you have a seal? Like green. Yeah, how do you have sealed uh, water hoses that you can pump air through? I mean, yeah, I don't know. Hey, if you can pay for it in Thailand, you can get it in Thailand. <laughs> this is getting off subject, kind of, but uh, specifically for Gary Goggles, you, you remember Hasbro was working on a concept for like a slime figure that had those hoses, but the problem is it kept leaking, so they never made it. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Something like that. I mean, I don't really remember it. So you and I were talking about it once. And do you think that could have been something like this possibly my thing is i i mean and again it's it's con it's conceptual at best but i'm looking at number seven and you you know you spin it one way and i guess it goes one way and you spin it i think those are arrows going both ways or it's just really bad green art and then you spin it the other way and everything goes back the other way and then it either lights up the energizer or it just pumps fluid into the energizer uh, which is hard to tell because it's glowing, but it's not really lit up. But it's called the Energizer, where you can't really... I mean, I guess you can energize fluid. I think it's weird that they would call it the Energizer and not have it be electrical. That doesn't mean that the Energizer itself wouldn't have been electrical and the tubes would still have had fluid. You know, I mean, that just makes sense. I don't expect there to be, like, actual electricity going through those tubes. What does it say? What Does it just say caution, since you have the larger image, Chris? Does it say caution on the Energizer on the bottom? Yes. Something like that? I can't read yeah, it. It, it, it. No, it says extreme voltage. Oh, see, so that part would have been, well, conceivably intellectual. What am I saying? Electrical. That would have been an intellectual energizer. I mean, the way I'm looking at it is, is section number six, which is the energizer, probably had a flashlight in it. So it, it shoots down at some sort of rocks that are light absorbent. I mean, there's a lot of minerals that will absorb light and they'll glow for a little while before they just, you know, slowly dissipate back to, you know, a dark color. Oh, now, and, now who's stretching, Mr. Archaeologist? Well, I'm not a geologist, so I am stretching. <laughs> but number seven, which is what we're talking about, which is the inner pumper, 
you know, if you look at number three, which is the air pump, the compressor unit, where the hose is coming out, going to number one, look how I'm tying all this together. You know, the, the same type of the connection for the hose on the inner pumper looks the same as on the energizer as the same on the uh, compressor unit. So I'm betting the spinterfuge probably has that type of connection as well. And I bet number seven could plug into like, you know, the spinterfuge. And if, the, if it's a self-contained liquid in that hose, well, as you're turning it, it's making it go from one way to the other. It's not like spilling out. But when it's plugged into the units, it looks like it's going into that compartment or that section of the playset. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if that's just a little plug-in and the hoses, you know, loop around and they're connected, then as long as you're spinning it, it looks like, you know, fluids moving, you know, in one hose into the energizer and, you know, out of the energizer through the other hose. I've always thought it was just, you know, it actually pumped the actual fluid, whatever whatever they were planning to use as the, the slime, as we've called it before, is, you know, that they just figured you would you could pump it out of the, the little container with the, the glow-in-the-dark lights and you could pump it over to the extracted unit or pump it to the spintrifuge kind of thing. I mean, I guess I, I, I can see, you know, how it could be a self-contained unit, but the, the child in me wants it to pump everything from here to there and from there to there. I don't think it would have. I, I think that's... You're wrong! That's too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, guys, I, I think... I'm right. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think the word spintrifuge may become the new nanobat. I was just going to say, who's going to bring up nanobat since we're talking about this playset and everything's well, you know, green nanobat and really nano-y. In here. Nanobat really would have fit in with this playset. So would the Constructicon bat, actually. Let's do number eight. Number eight. Let's do number eight. Jared, number do, the, eight. do number eight. Number eight, sludge guns. Working <laughs> sludge guns. Where's James tonight? That's what I was just thinking. Number eight, sludge guns. Working slime-firing guns protect refinery from, what is that? Whale-watching do-gooders. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Sludge guns. Working slime-firing guns protect refinery from whale-watching do-gooders. I think that's awesome. Arbco, like, really, I mean, it, it exemplifies corporate greed, you know? Yeah. They want to make active chemicals for active people and fuck the world and the fucking whale-watching hippies, you know? Yep. You know, and that, you, you think about 1990 and the you know, late 80s, or mid-80s, late 80s, early 90s, whale, you know, save the whales was all over the place. And it's kind of funny that he's like, screw the whales. But by, by the late 80s, you know, corporate America was, was, was kind of coming down off of his perch. We, we were starting to cast it as the villain in a lot of popular culture. Greed is um, good. Yeah, uh, well, greed, again, by the time 1990 rolled around, greed wasn't so good. I'm uh, thinking that particularly in, in stuff that, that kids would have been reading. Like, uh, for example, you know, the, they restarted the Superman mythos during that time, and, and they recast uh, Lex Luthor from being uh, the, the, the classic mad scientist into being the, the 80s corporate shark. And, and it was, you know, really, really well-received, and they really played that up. And that certainly wasn't the only place where that had happened, so... For Cobra to develop, uh, you know, this this seemingly huge terrorist organization with uh, with a, a to this point limitless budget, you know, it's just not that weird that they suddenly develop a corporate wing that's that's capable of doing all these dastardly things that uh, that we wouldn't have thought before as well. So I guess what as a as a kid, 
Well, I, I guess all of you as, as children, you know, where does this stand in, let's just say as is, where does this stand sort of, uh, let's say it had been produced, where does it stand amongst the other G.I. Joe playsets? This one's a little different because it's not, you know, sort of part vehicle. It's not, uh, you know, it doesn't have a landing strip. It's not, you know, maybe the, the tubes would have disconnected and connected into a septic tank or something. But, you know, where does this stand in your sort of childhood mind of, of ranking playsets? Well, for me, it, I mean, 1990 was well after I was playing with toys. I was in high school trying to meet girls. So, but if this had come out when I was truly playing with toys, I think this would have been phenomenal. I mean, just the, the, the spinterfuge playing with the figures, the slime guns actually shooting slime, and the glow in the, you know, the energizer, the glow in the dark rocks that, you know, it looks like you could actually hold in your hand. I think I would have spent more time running around, you know, playing with these rocks pertaining to kryptonite and stuff like that than I would have been using it for a G.I. Joe. But, I mean, I think this has a lot more playability than a lot of the stuff I had as a kid because there's so many moving parts compared to, like, the tactical battle platform or the uh, G.I. Joe Headquarters version 1. I don't know. I think I would have liked this a lot more if I had this as a kid. see a lot of playability, but not much durability as far as with all those supports. I mean, it looks to me, if any of you have kids now who have a Suzu pen playset, I mean, with all those little supports and the same kind of thing. Yeah, those those things fall apart so easy. I can see, you know, like, if I had it as a kid, I'd have the spinterfuge area. And everything else would be lost throughout the house, probably. Oh, Chris, what does it say? Uh, oh, does it say Arbco up on the um, next to the extractor as well on the platform? Like, is that just what it says all on all yeah. the platforms? It just says Arbco, Arbco, Arbco. Yeah, it's, it says either Arbco, Caution, or Step. That's the only thing written on all that upper platform. So they don't. They never remember where they work, or they're just full of themselves. You know, I bet there's a lot of chemicals there, and they just don't remember who they are, more or less, where they were. <laughs> you, you, you know, if you get dropped in that spinterfuge enough times, you're not going to remember nothing anyway. One thing uh, on the spinterfuge, where it says spinterfuge, uh, below that on the flat part, it says tool compartment. So it makes me wonder if that probably would have opened up and been a place for, you know, like a sledgehammer or something. That's cool. Like a sledgehammer. What does it what does it say on the, the panel for number seven on by next to the hamster wheel toilet paper roll thing? And then what's the little yellow is that above the tube next to the number three there's like a yellow dot? Like what's that? Oh that's a lightning bolt. Okay, so that's that's to tell you that high voltage air. <laughs> <laughs> high voltage air pumping into uh hazardous liquid. That's Hey man, active chemicals for active people. First, that's totally what we want to sell to small children. <laughs> what about under the hamster wheel? <laughs> it says it says uh, pump line, and then uh, everything below that squiggles. Squiggles. That's how. Well, that's how they. You know, that's the corporate. Uh, you know, well, we didn't know what it said or what it did because it was all in squiggles. Well, it's fine print. <laughs> yeah. Is this the only thing that Hasbro's ever done with Arbco? You know, I, 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 I've never seen anything else, but since Arco was so, uh, was used so much within the cartoon and the comic, I would say it was used probably more than once, and this is just the only piece I've seen. I bet it was used, it was just I don't know of anything else. I wouldn't be surprised if, there, if, the, if Arbco was, a, was sort of a theme that they maybe went to once a year conceptually and talked themselves out of it because everything was more 
obvi- th- this is like because of the nature of the playset and the the sort of slogan, the active chemicals for active people. This is the most logical Arbco thing. I can't think of any other Cobra sort of uh, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of misleading playset or vehicle that you'd look at and go, oh, that's probably a good thing, or that's probably helping us somehow. Like you wouldn't look at a a hiss tank and be like, oh, that's the truck that brings us our tacos or whatever. Like you know, this it, it's probably. It Arbco's probably lent to a bunch of unproduced concepts and not something I think would be familiar with unless someone can think of something else that sort of looks like it'd be okay rolling down the street and then you're like, oh shit. I'm going to mention that, that as far as Arbco goes, I mean, you could have had those semi trucks that are always in the comics. You could have had a, a semi truck place that where you would have a his tank inside the semi truck that could roll out. But that, other than that's that, what I was going to say, yeah. If the front end of the trailer could be like a uh, command center and the back half could be like a his tank or stinger compartment holding that. But, you know, the fact that Arbco was also part of their uh, pyramid scheme, it'd be nice to have like a a generic uh, building with just a bunch of cubicles and people sitting there with headsets and Arbco, you know, pyramid scheme. (laughs) Chris, Chris, do you have that uh, pre-production toy that it's like a a toxic tank that explodes and has a little cart that drives out. That's you that has that, right? Yeah, that's the Toxo bomb. Yeah, does that have anything Arco on it? Uh, actually, he doesn't know. He just, he just he just owns it. Okay. So yeah, I I do own the Toxo bomb, and uh, if anyone wants to see it, I don't actually have images of it online yet, but you can go to uh, yojo.com and. There are some inner office memos that show the uh, the original art for the three different versions that would have come out, and the the gist of the Toxo bomb was that it's basically a, it's a container, and the one I own it it looks like a uh, like a, a tanker, like a tank, like a 500 gallon tank, and the gist of it would be is it sitting there? It looks like some sort of innocent uh, chemical container, and then it bursts open. And inside would be a vehicle, a small wind-up vehicle that would have a slime and water or something like that in it. And it would shoot out and it'll drive around by itself, squirting fluid as it's going. And the whole purpose of it was it was to spread hazardous materials and, and, and cause, you know, like a, you know, a hazardous waste spill. And this one I own actually says Arco Chemical Company on it. And on the other half of the shell, it says biohazard. Mm, very so, cool. So, yeah, I, I, I completely forgot that. Actually, it's in my display, and the side that says ARPCO is the side that's to the back, so I never see it. But, yeah, I, okay, so there are two things that say ARPCO, at least. And they're unproduced. Does it have a project number? <laughs> God, no. <laughs> You're supposed to tell us that, Tolan. You're supposed to tell us. Yeah, Tolan, the next step is to know what we don't. But uh, two things about that that time I'm uh, People are always asking me, what's something that I, Gyro Viper, do not have that I want? And I always tell people, oh, well, I, you know, I'm very picky. I just got the, the t- that what, what Chris Murray has um, uh, is something that is very, 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 very high on my list of things that I would like to own. If uh, if you were at Joe Con last year, you might have seen it. Uh, I don't know if he's going to bring it this year for the declassified booth. If you were at the declassified booth last year, it was uh, the giant canister sitting in the uh, 
sitting in the display case. I don't know if he's going to bring it this year, but uh, if, if you get a chance to see this thing in person, it doesn't look like anything you've ever seen in G.I. Joe, and it, it, it really just makes you, I don't know, it, I get excited just looking at it, but um, uh, it, it's definitely one of the more, I, I think one of the more unique things that I think uh, has ever come out of G.I. Joe, even though it never actually came out. Uh, but I, I just think you have to see this thing in person. It's totally worth it. So uh, if, if he doesn't bring it to Joe Con this year, get in a time machine, you know, I'm sure you'll see it last year. Um, well, yeah, I've already taken it twice. Actually, I might have taken it three times. So I, now that we're talking about it, I may bring it. Just, But I try to bring different stuff every time. So, it's you know, people aren't going there and saying, oh, yeah, I saw that last year. So I, I at the time, I wasn't planning on taking it, but... Now that well, you're, fuck you're, them, because I wasn't there last year. Oh, well, I was. The only thing that I had else, else to say on this was uh, when I purchased it, before I bought it, I was actually talking with Guy Cassidy, kind of, you know, looking for provenance to prove it was something legit. And he actually remembered it and described, you know, described it to me without seeing a picture. So then I sent him a picture later. So... He remembered it. He remembered it as being some kind of fun with them, you know, goofing off in the office talking about and making. And, you know, which is obvious, you know, when you read like the legend where it says, you know, well watching do gooders, you know, it's one of those things where I, you know, I think they had fun doing it. And once again, you know, when you look at these guys and you talk to them, they actually enjoyed what they did at Hasbro. And these little, little, I guess, Easter eggs they put in this type of stuff shows that. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that I at least got independent verification from someone who used to work there that saw it when it was made. But he had no memory of it actually beyond the uh, presentation stage. He didn't have any memory of it, like, getting made into a model or anything like that. I uh, I, I kind of, you know, looking at it with a customizer's eye, I'm seeing on the, the supports, they look so very much like the 91 headquarters elevator support beam. Yeah, I can agree uh, with that, yeah. And then also the fact that it's got blow-away, exploding walkway panels, like, the whole 91 headquarters, 92 headquarters had that, you know, yep. collapsing tower gimmick. So, I mean, it, you, you can definitely see how I can at least see that, you know, certain ideas may not have all the way gotten through on this one, but may have been, you know, plucked off and, and put into other play sets in, in other areas or, or something like that. There, t- talk about perfect timing. Um, I just got an email from a, a former Hasbro designer who I sent the uh, Arbco, the, this playset image to earlier today, hoping to get some sort of, you know, something maybe we didn't know. And while I didn't really get anything we we didn't know, I actually literally just got this email response from him. Uh, he was he's been on, he was on the line forever. He retired many many years ago though. But he said, um, Gary, I think that's from when we were experimenting with extending branding into all sorts of weird shit. I remember a display in the main hall. Uh, known as Hasbro Way, with not just Joe, but My Little Pony and some other Hasbro brands, slapped on all kinds of junk from sheets to ride-ons to et cetera. So basically he's saying that, you know, at the time they were just, it was probably at the time when they had, you know, you always hear about Hasbro having just a ton of money in their budget to at the very least try to get things off the ground, even if they didn't make it. So, uh, you know, the fact that he even said... uh, um, I think that's from when we were experimenting with extending branding into all sorts of weird shit. That goes back to what uh, a couple of you guys said earlier about, man, they just really just threw every playability aspect they could into this thing. Um, and then as Chris was saying, you know, they had a lot of fun doing it. Actually, well, I got 
my mic open. I, I want to agree with uh, Brian's assessment. Uh, it's very reminiscent of the uh, the ninety one ninety two headquarters, and it, it definitely fits in that time frame with the with the gangways and the ele- with the possible uh, pieces of the uh, elevator and the part that would fall apart. That what you can see in here too. So, good observation. All right. Well, uh, so that is the uh, the Arbco playset, which for something that we knew nothing about, uh, other than what is right there in front of it, uh, you know, you could almost say that we know as much about it as you do, the listener viewer. That uh, that you know, for something that we didn't really know too much about, you know, there it is. Um, hopefully, uh, we all learned something from it, and hopefully, so did you, the viewer at home. Uh, uh, so, uh, on behalf of uh, ARBCO, um, Active Chemicals for Active People, that is the, uh, the ARBCO playset um, in its entirety as is, as known. Okay, so, so basically up next, a, uh, basically a, a very private collector who would like to remain uh, a million percent anonymous has agreed to let me filter his collection out into the world uh, through this podcast and through Declassified and whatever other means I find fitting. Uh, so tonight, we're going to take a, a sort of quick look at two pieces from his collection. Uh, one will confirm suspicions, basically answering what is basically like a 25-year-old mystery. And the other piece, which we'll talk about first, is an unproduced concept for a well-known Joe character. Chris, uh, what are we looking at here with this uh, missile specialist, uh, this first piece? Uh, while you do not own this piece of art, you do know the most about it. Well, this is actually, to me, a very interesting piece of art. This is a, a basically unknown piece that hasn't shown up until recently, at least in, to my knowledge, of the missile specialist. And... The, one of the most interesting things about it is this is the second version of this actual drawing that I've seen, but it's the first time I've ever seen art done this way. Whoever the artist was, which is not noticeable on this image, did their presentation art differently than anyone else that had done work for Hasbro, at least than anything else I've seen. And I don't know, I mean, I'm assuming later on we'll be at least, you know, releasing other images, but this particular piece came with, I think, four other drawings that are all done the same way with that kind of cartoony face with the really pink skin. So I, to me, it's a really interesting piece. But the other image that I have seen was actually shown uh, by Ron Brudat at the Rhode Island convention. He, uh, he owned it and he brought it to the con and was showing it to people in his booth. And... On that particular piece, it was this exact same drawing, same color scheme, everything, except the guy was more of an action pose, and he was holding the binoculars in a different way. And the image, I know he sold it to somebody at the con, I don't know who, but it was like I said, it didn't say anything. It didn't say mission specialist or nothing. But later on, Ron shared an image with me of a, of a rough pencil sketch, and it was black and white. And it was of this exact same character. And below it, instead of saying missile specialist, it said General Hawk. So this was an unproduced version of General Hawk. All the other images that are in that grouping that this came from were from, like, what, 86, 87, 88? Yeah. So this was an 80s concept that 
quite possibly could have come out at the same time as the 1986 General Hawk, and they went with the one that we saw rather than this one here. Yeah, well, I mean, he looks. My, my thing is that he looks so young for for General Hawk. I, I, I obviously it's it's artist interpretation, but it, it's also you kind of give people ideas. Like when you give an artist an idea of who they were sort of drawing, otherwise the concept kind of, I mean, yeah, you can switch the head and you just keep a concept, but it seems to me that to draw him this young, it might have actually been by, uh, maybe by assignment or, you know, commission that way. Did, would that suggest maybe like a rebranding of G.I. Joe? And maybe that's why this looks so different and that's why he looks so young? Or am I, well, am I reading too much into a conceptual piece of art by, like you said, an artist who either never worked for, never did other things that we've seen or just did this completely different? Well, the other images, it actually was an older face. I mean, the rock ah, okay. the first one, and it looked like General Hawk. Ah, that would so explain it. I, I don't know why this face was drawn differently, but this art, it, it sounds, I feel weird saying it, but I mean, this particular artist, I've only seen work done this particular piece and a few others and the stuff that he did was drawn by other people as well so i'm wondering if this was possibly an artist that was kind of like uh hey let's are you any good let's see what you could do here's some images what's your interpretation of them yeah or maybe they decided not to do you know they liked this figure but they didn't want to make it a general hawk so that's why they drew it with a a younger face because they were going to make it a completely new character to replace Hawk as the uh, missile specialist because Hawk ended up being the leader of G.I. Joe. Yeah. Uh, Jay just brought up an interesting point in the chat that I was actually going to mention and then I kind of tucked it away in the back of my head. Uh, Go ahead, Jay. Well, he just looks in design. He looks a lot like uh, Valor versus Venom more than Vintage with the colors and, you know, the best and all that get up. I see it and I just... I'm surprised it wasn't in the, you know, Valor versus Venom. He kind of looks a little like, uh, was it Switch Gears or Gears or whatever his name is? I mean, I almost think that it's just like this arc really kind of has kind of wonky proportions. He's kind of skinny some places and thick other places, and I think that just corresponds and reminds us of the the, the Valor versus Venom kind of days. And he's also got a vest. Well, that makes him Pursuit of Cobra. No, because he only has one weapon. <laughs> yeah, but he has knee pads, so that also makes him pursuit of cover. He's wearing your goggles. <laughs> dude, maybe, dude, maybe that's you, dude. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, overall, the he's kind of he kind of reminds me of I don't know. I don't find I don't find the design terribly interesting. Really, I love I mean, it. I love the vest. I love the way that the cuffs are sort of like held down by those those wrist things. I like the weird stuff on the leg. But then again, I'm the guy who when I saw X-Force number one and I saw Cable with all the pockets and all the weird shit, I was like, yes, that is what I want for the rest of my X-Men comics for the rest of time and all my X titles. And, of course, n- that didn't happen. It's yeah. very futuristic. Good, because you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first yeah, I mean, time ever. But go ahead, Jared. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, there's nothing really about the, the design itself that I'm, you know, terribly excited about. I mean, I'm, but yeah, so I'm not, I'm not entirely, I mean, you know, if I saw this in the store, I probably, probably would just kind of go, oh, okay. 
Oh, come you know, on. You know, he looks like a total brown coat. He looks like he would be sitting on Serenity. You know what he looks like? He looks like a 25th anniversary figure. He's <laughs> got the small head. No, I don't, I don't mean that. I don't mean that in any kind of, kind of you know, bad way. He, he's got kind of those superhero proportions, and I'm looking at this going, oh, yeah, it kind of looks like a 25th anniversary figure. He's okay, I guess. Oh, now he's okay. I think it's way too futuristic for what was coming out in 1985-86 with that binocular thing and the giant either flare gun or 20-millimeter pistol. I don't know what that is. I think it was a failed concept. Wait, what, Nova? I'm saying he looks... He looks a lot like a lot of the other uh, Battle Force 2000 concept artwork that I've seen. Like yeah, I mean, I'm even looking at, I'm looking at these wrist things, and those are blockers' wrists. Like the detail on those wrist cuffs are blockers' wrists, and those pants are Taurus's pants. And I don't know what the silver padded things on his legs are, but but like that's so an '87, '88 figure in my eyes. What year did Battle Force 2000 come out? 2000. Duh. 87. Yeah, I mean, this could have been, yeah, this would have been near that time period, but I think this was draw, drawn in 85, according to what came with it, the other images. Well, then it's Battle Force 1998. Well, I mean, if, if, if Nova's pulling those parts off of it, that means it's probably, was probably drawn after 87. Well, the other image, I mean, are we allowed to say what the other images were, Gary? You know more, that's like, you know more about it than I do. I, if you want to go there, we can go there. I, the only reason I didn't even pull those images out was because some of them are just kind of like, what can you say about them? Yeah, I know, but I mean, are you allowed to talk about those as well? Oh, yeah. Okay, this piece right here also came with a mainframe. It also came with a, basically, it was long arm. I mean, it was an all-red long arm. Another unproduced figure that looks kind of like a, might have been a sailor on a roll on a, on a boat or something. But the fact that it came with mainframe and they're all drawn on this exact same pink-faced kind of young cartoony look, and they're all kind of uh, rigid, just standing straight up and down like that, no real motion. I mean, didn't didn't mainframe come out in 86? Yes. Yeah, so I mean, that would have been... So this, all of these most likely came from the time period since they're all the same, same time period, which means they most likely would have been a 1985 concept. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't uh, didn't Ron do a lot of the prototype work for Battle Force 2000 in like the 85, 86 years? Like no, like the, the, the Battle Force 2000 was done by Guy Cassidy, and Guy didn't start working there until '87, I thought. That's how I remember it. Did Guy paint the one the the art that's known as like the the future pilot who's smoking a cigarette? No, that was Ron Rudat. See, that's, that's where I'm connecting this art with that, with Ron, and I think that was all part of what he described in his one talk as kind of working on the future force. Future force, yeah. Well, what I'll, first of all, what like just for everyone listening, what I'll do is I'll, I'll post pictures of the mainframe. I'll post pictures of the, uh, of the Dodger, which I posted on Twitter today just for kicks because I, for the hell of it, absolutely unrelated to this conversation, but apparently now it is. I'll post pictures of the uh, long arm and the uh, the sort of boat captain guy that Chris was talking about so that everyone can kind of see what we're talking about because uh, I just think that's fair. But go ahead, guys. I just wanted to clarify that so everyone listening knows that it'll be there to look at. It's interesting that his uh, arm badge, is, uh, his insignia isn't uh, uh, general at all. It's uh, either – it looks like a sergeant major. Which would seem to make this a new character rather than General Hawk. Correct. 
Yeah, but it, I mean, keep in mind, like even I mean, wasn't uh, wasn't Gung Ho's rank messed up in his dress oh, marine? The uh, yeah, the concept art for the dress marine. It has the the stripes underneath, which is like I think they represent like you know one stripe represents one uh, four years within the the service, and he had enough that said he was like active marine for like thirty two years. Yeah, I mean, I I take I take I mean I I take certain things like that with concept art as a as a grain of salt. Like if I no matter how much like let's say I was a a, a you know a, a Hasbro artist. You know, that's what I, my concentration, I'm not like, you know, there's people like Ron Rudat and Bill Merkline and a couple other people who actually were in the military or know about military or military experts that aren't going to get those things wrong. And there's other people who are just really good at drawing and just kind of, you know, they, they obviously back then they didn't Google it, but you know, they just kind of use what they have in front of them to kind of, you know, for reference. I mean, it's just for reference. So it's not like it needs to be accurate then and there. But I get what you're saying. Who was the artist, if you can say? Of this piece we're looking at? Don't yes. know. No idea. And as far as I can see, there's no name on it. So, yeah. So that's basically a uh, what we can tell you or can't tell you uh, with the uh, these, this version of General Hawk or not General, but maybe Hawk or not General Hawk at all. But who knows? It, as, as it goes with the pre-production process, but that's part of the fun, and that's part of this podcast. So uh, what do you guys think of this, uh, this low-light revelation after all this time? Something so minute, something so speculated over the past however many years of collecting as to what is up with uh, the uh, hole in low-light's leg um, actually being confirmed right here with no question. Uh, you know, there it is, blank in your face. And I... I if I'm not wrong, people have sort of guessed that that's what it's for and have sort of tried to get it to work that way uh, with the action figure. But, I mean, this just tells you plain as day exactly what Lowlight's leg uh, does or amounts to. Well, that's what, it, that's what it is, but it still doesn't tell you how you're supposed to put the gun on there or how – I mean, it, it obviously doesn't work the way they're showing it. So it would be neat to see kind of like turnarounds to go along with this to see what they were actually – Thinking. I would just like to point out that I had no idea there was a controversy or concern on what was going on with his leg. This was news to me. Thank you very much, Gary, for letting me know. You know, the gun that he, he uh, came with was what the little Uzi-looking thing. And the only way that I've ever seen anybody able to get it to stay on there is, like, sticking out perpendicular to his leg. So, you know, I mean, I think everybody has always, you know, suspected that the gun would clip on there, but no one has been able to figure out a, a reasonable way of how. And that's, and, and that's yeah, probably why it's remained somewhat of a mystery, give or take. Yeah. You know, so if, if there were actually turnarounds of, you know, the, the weapon design and the, the, you know, thigh design and it showed where one was supposed to interlock with the other kind of thing. Well, obviously a, a, a turnaround exists in some form somewhere that, you know, would depict such a thing, uh, that's definitely, um, you know, would further the. It, it would it would then confirm how this proof sort of sort of plays into itself. But uh, Chris, do you want to talk about exactly what these actual images are, like what what these physically these this artwork actually is? Yeah, uh, these are actually really cool to me. These are our color studies, and basically what that means is that the original drawing was Xeroxed multiple times and then the art 
artist would go back using uh, paints or markers and color it in to determine what the final look would be. So that's why in some cases when these things do pop up, there'll be like, you know, 15 different color schemes with, you know, the guy in all red, the guy in all blue. And in this case, we see him in brown and in gray. And we see him with the face camouflaged and the face not camouflaged. So I, I love color studies. I, I think they're awesome. They're, they're typically kind of crude and not, I wouldn't say well done, but I, I like the idea of seeing it and thinking, wow, it would have been neat if he came in all brown or if he was wearing, you know, you know, a pink shirt with a baby blue pants or whatever, you know. <laughs> but basically that's what we're looking at. This is a color study. So it's, it's a, a Xerox of the original drawing and then it's been markered or painted over the original drawing. You know, so obviously a number of figures have these color studies done. Have we ever seen, you know, actual physical figures painted up like this vintage-wise? I'm thinking of one, like the bat is the only one that I can think of that I've seen alternate colors pre-production-wise. Anybody else? You're talking about the, the red, the yellow, and the orange uh, accessory yeah. straps? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the color study is supposed to just sort of say you know, it's supposed to get that out of the way. I mean, I'm not saying that nothing exists like that, but I'd, I'd say that the color studies lose their purpose if they start mocking up figures to that degree as well. But at the same time, I think it would make more sense to do the figures and not the color studies. I think, you know, the figures are going to give them a much better idea of what the figures are going to look like than the, the color studies were. But I guess... Uh, yeah, but if you're, if you're paying a guy by the hour, yeah. he can use, you know, markers and highlighters on paper a lot faster than assembling, gluing, priming, uh, you know, and then painting, you know, figures. I, 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 I think the color study was pretty much the standard way to go. And, you know, it's I guess maybe with the bat, you know, for example, with the bat... It came down to them liking the you know the yellow and the red, and maybe they said well, let's try both. But I do not think it was common to make multiple paint schemes for actual 3D representations of figures. Who wants a body massage? I'd like to thank uh, our special guest Brian Kaufman, the Nova, for joining us. Uh, hopefully, he'll come back on at some point or whenever and uh, and treat us to his uh, his insight and what have you. So, thank you, Nova. Anytime. And uh, so, I guess with that, we will um, we will say good night. Stay classy, everybody. I'd just like to give a couple uh, quick shouts out to some of uh, my uh, my Twitter followers who are. Uh, you know, always really active and always uh, supporting the podcast and retweeting, what have you. Uh, P Love, of course. Uh, Tom Brooks and Rock Norris. Gabriel. Uh, Twitziller. Nerd Rage Toys. NFCJD. Diagnostic 80. Chuck O Ring. Slick McFavorite. Uh, Kenny. And uh, so say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. Goodnight. Bye. You, know, you know, Joe's not really my passion anyway. Crystal ball. Oh. Wait, what? Yeah, Josh, you got an announcement about Nanobat?
Yeah, definitely. If you're if you're anywhere in the area, if you've ever been to King County, if you know anything about King County, uh, there's always a bunch of us there at the King County Toy Shows. Um, so we'll all be there. Uh, was it April twenty second? April twenty second. Yeah. April twenty second. Chicago Toy Show. ChicagoToyShow.com will give you the uh, directions. Yeah, Todd Jordan from Kokomo will probably be there, and uh, some other people. If um, if you're trying to find us, just look for me. Even if you hate me, I'm the guy with the goggles. I'll be the easiest to spot, and I'll just, you know, tell you where everyone's kind of hanging out if you find me. Um, but we're all we're always sort of just standing around, you know, talking about whatever, doing whatever. So yeah, if you're anywhere near the King County Toy Show that weekend or that day, uh, come on by, say hi, or you know, at least walk by and pretend like you don't know us. That'd be nice too. So uh, other than that, crystal ball, nanobat, all that fun stuff, and. Uh, We'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Make sure you check out uh, declassified.com. Uh, Nomad's been updating the front page with some images from his collection and from the uh, – he started an archive and a bunch of other stuff on there. And uh, check out joedeclassified.com slash forum. That's where the podcast threads are. And uh, some of the people on there have their own – on here have their own threads. And uh, Glumby just started his pre-production thread on there. Go check that out. There's some cool stuff. And, uh, you know uh, – Other than that, I suppose we'll see you around the forums, if not on the podcast. So, adios. See ya. Goodbye. First of all, Nanobat is a custom I'm working on. (laughs) Is it it Nanoball? Yeah, Nanoball. (laughs) Nanoballs? Nanoballs. All right. Uh, So, in order to prevent confusion for you, the listener... Uh, right now we are joined by Pat and Phil, who, uh, were not on the previous recording for this episode, if that makes any sense, but we are also joined again by Roshan, Josh, and myself, who are on the, uh, previous recordings for this episode. Right now it is one in the morning where I am, which makes it about two in the morning where, uh, some of you guys are. So, uh, this is our, our first, uh, big late night, what is it, after hours, uh, recording, which is actually something we expected when we, uh, first came up with this, this podcast, that there would be some, some late night recordings to sort of fit in with other people's schedules. So pardon us if we sound a little drowsy or out of our minds. So basically Pat's with us, Phil is with us and Josh is with us. Um, and I'm with us. Never really with us no i try <laughs> and to avoid confusion first and foremost let's say hi to everybody uh hi josh how are you again i'm just as good as i was the last time which for people listening will sound like you were just as good an hour ago phil how are you this evening or this morning as it were <laughs> no it's still evening where i am uh it's uh, i'm doing good <laughs> <laughs> You're doing better than I am because it's morning where I am. And uh, we are joined with Pat, uh, not Picard. How are you, Pat? Doing good. Thanks for everybody coming out. It's probably my weird schedule that everybody seems to be accommodating, so I appreciate it. Oh, it's it's totally worth it. We are simply uh, covering pretty much uh, everything on this episode from, from 80s art to, uh, you know, uh, 2012 unreleased product. So, uh, we've got a, we've got a good range going here, so it's totally worth it to be up, uh, to be up this late. So, uh, we're going to kick this off with the, uh, with this low light business. The low light 
um, color studies. The art will be uh, posted on Yojo, although you can find links to it uh, on all the forums, Declassified, and uh, uh, in all the podcast threads, uh, a link to Yojo to, to, to see this. But we, um, we, we think that this sort of revelation belongs on Yojo because of uh, the essence of what Yojo is. And uh, it's sort of an old mystery that, um, that despite tons of speculation, is finally getting some sort of confirmation, and we think that that belongs on Yojo. And uh, so that's why we're putting it over there. And uh, so that'll be in the pre-production forums uh, on Yojo, along with, of course, links to the podcast, and the podcast will have links to Yojo. So it won't be confusing, but that's where that stuff will be. So I guess we'll, we'll kick it off, and I'll throw it over to the, to the Yojo guys, Pat and Phil. What comes to mind when you see this this sort of low-light confirmation of, of, of what's going on with his leg? Relief is, is the first thing, to be honest, because the, the, the mystery of low-light's left leg has probably been one of the ones that just keeps coming up over and over and over again. I mean, if you were to go on any G.I. Joe forum for anybody who's, you know, collected the vintage line and say, hey, what are some mysteries of, of things, of parts that don't quite make sense or you weren't sure what they were for, low-light's leg, it, it's, it's, if not the first one to come up, it's usually one of the first five. Because if you look at his left leg, it kind of has this shape to it. You can tell it's not really an item, but, you know, does it look like it's there for holding something? You know, what exactly is it for? And, you know, even as a kid playing with low light, you kind of knew that there was something weird there, but you really weren't clued into what it was. And I know personally, like while I was trying to dig up information on anything pre-production, that was always one of the ones that, you know, I, I would ask people if there was any off chance that they knew. I would say to them, hey, you, you know, you're a collector. Have you come across anything that would give any indication of what the deal is with Low Light's leg? And for years, I mean, pretty much since the Internet's been around, I've been asking this. And, it, you know, finally now we get an answer. It's a long story, Low Light, and I want to tell you. But I'm not sure that now's the time. It's actually a story that's real short, and I just figured out how it ends. Well, uh, one of the things that um, that was brought up on the uh, the earlier recording of this episode with everyone else was uh, Nova was saying while this while this confirms that that's what goes on his leg, it doesn't confirm how that happens, like how you were supposed to get that to attach to his leg, as other people have tried suspecting that was the answer. So, Phil. This, this question's for you. Does anyone else, are there any other figures with a similar sort of Uzi that maybe Lowlight was originally supposed to be packaged with, and that's what the problem is, is that the gun he came with isn't the one that is supposed to attach to his leg, that maybe it belongs to, maybe someone else has that one, it was just kind of switched as, you know, weapons are prone to be done in the, the or are prone to do in the history of G.I. Joe action figures where something gets switched and it throws everything else off. Do you think there's a chance that that Lowlight's actual gun he would maybe was sort of tooled to come with is just with someone else? And that's where the other sort of uh, bit of this mystery lies. Well, I suppose there's always a chance of that, but just offhand, I can't think of what would fit there. I mean, the 82 Snake Eyes movie doesn't fit, and the only other Uzi I can think of is the one that came with Iron Grenadier, and that's about three times too large. I suppose it would just, you know, take a day of sitting in front of your parts bin with your low-light figure, finding all the smaller guns and just popping them there, see if it goes in place or not. 
but there's always a chance that you know it didn't even go end up in a GI Joe line because put out another line that Hasbro was doing. Yeah, well, I was just I was after after recording the first portion of this episode, I was thinking about what everyone was saying, and I was like. You know, maybe there's maybe there's a question that we're not asking. Uh, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, it's probably on the turnaround. It probably shows how it's done." And I, I don't know. I I I was kind of kind of just trying to think outside the box and try to see if there wasn't an easier way to do this than hunting down another piece of art. <laughs> I suppose I could go through the Hobbit and see if there's anything that jumps out at me. Personally, I think that the mystery of of as far as how it attaches probably doesn't necessarily lie with anything that you're going to find physically that did exist in the line, but if you kind of look at the other things that were hardware items and look at the early pre-production figures for them, I'm trying to think of, of, a, of a really good example. Um, I think it's in the 1989 insert catalog. It's pretty clear that some of the posts on the figures were added afterwards, and sometimes if you see resins, you'll notice that any of the hardware-like posts, things that, you know, would be a peg that would come off for a visor or a peg for a gun to attach to a leg or or things like that weren't necessarily uh, on the figure from the earliest point. So my guess is that what happened was uh, there's probably a slot or attachment piece that should have been tooled onto Lowlight's gun after the sculptor finished sculpting it and it probably just never happened. Um, you could speculate as to why it never happened. Maybe they tried various ways to get it to work with the pre-existing leg and just couldn't figure it out. I'm thinking that if you look at later G.I. Joes that have, like, you know, Rock and Roll version 2, the 1989 figure that has pigs coming off of it, or Night Viper that has pigs coming off of him that would have, uh, you know, been added later for the weapon to fit on. I think they figured those things out a little bit later and Lowlight's uh, left leg probably uh, is the way it is because they just couldn't quite at the time figure out the engineering of how to get the accessory to work with a leg in order for that to happen. So that's my guess. My guess is that it is the right Uzi but or whatever kind of weapon it is. Here I am calling it an Uzi. I, have no I, meant, I meant submachine gun. That was my fault. Someone else. Did you call it Uzi too? I called it Uzi because I, I was on the phone with someone. I forget who it was, and they said his Uzi or whatever. I'm almost positive that's why I'm remembering it that way because now I remember thinking, I don't remember seeing the word Uzi on that on that sheet. And of course, I'm looking at the sheet now, and it says submachine gun. Yeah, I that was my fault. I I I take full. No, it's, I always call it. To me, when I was little, any gun like that that was little, the word Uzi sounded cool, so that's what I thought it was. My fault. But but anyway, that's that's what I think happened. I, I think that they sculpted it. I mean, that's just my guess. If I had to place a bet, it would be that they sculpted it. That is the correct submachine gun for low light, but it didn't have the later you know, pre-production process of, of making it work with the leg. Well, all right, here, here's my, my original hypothesis was always that it was a scope that fits on the leg. So obviously I'm, I'm losing this argument. But my, my question still remains, this color study was an early design. So yes, originally they wanted to have a, uh, a submachine gun to attach there and that was the plan but maybe once they realized it couldn't work couldn't we s- still make the argument that they tried to put a scope on there still because when you look at that as Nova said 
how the hell do you put the thing on the lake? It makes no sense when you look at it like that. So even though originally they probably wanted a submachine gun, I still think that that looks like something you put a scope on. I'm right there with you. I actually for a long time thought that what happened was that the scope from his rifle was supposed to be removable and able to attach to either his leg or the rifle. I, I actually thought that if you looked at it and thought, well, if the scope had a slot on the bottom of it, it could both fit on the side of his leg and fit into a slot in the top of the rifle if they had told the thing to do that. And a customizer, I'm sure, could could still get that job done. But uh, I see what you're saying there. I just, you know, it, it also seems to be a case, though, where the most likely explanation is probably the correct one. And if we have the pre-production thing that points to it and says, you know, I mean, it doesn't even just point to it and say submachine gun. You know, I, I think the other side of his leg points to it and says knife, which implies to me that it's a sculpted knife. It actually says on it that it's a uh, detachable submachine gun, does it not? It says, uh, yeah, it says clip-on submachine gun. So that to me says, you know, this is going to be a piece that comes off and goes on. And that, that to me just indicates that even though I was also thinking that it would be a scope, that, it, you know, it, it probably isn't indeed just the, the, the not the Uzi that goes there. Well, obviously, Hasbro's current sculptors thought along the same lines as Scope, since they made the Pursuit of Cobra's scope for low light fit on his leg. Now, now they can go back and change it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did want to mention that the, the thing that I find interesting is the fact that there, this being a color study, there is a picture of low light in a laser disc sleeve that can also be found on yojo.com in the archive section under videos. Um, it's kind of interesting to me. I mean, the picture on the laser disc, I think, resembles the brown low light just as well as the uh, gray low light resembles the produced figure because obviously the gray low light still has some differences from the one that was produced. It doesn't have the red shoulder pad. He's got a green gun. He's got camo on his face, but it is pretty close to what we got. Uh, and the brown one, it, it's got the red on the shoulder. The only thing really different from it, from the one that's on the laser disc sleeve, is it looks like his hat is green on the laser disc. And I have to wonder. You know, whenever somebody was coloring that laser disc, where did they get their art? It could be that whenever Hasbro had this, they made some copies or took some photographs of things and sent along the wrong one to whoever it was that was, you know, putting that art together. So, and I, I don't think that's that's probably not the only time that that's happened in the, the history of the G.I. Joe brand either. I think that color studies are one of those things that are really interesting and definitely a thing to keep an eye on because you never know whenever a color pattern has actually been used. All right, so that, uh, that, that wraps up uh, this group's, this team's uh, sort of... Uh, dissertation on the low light revelation uh, again the image will be posted on yojo.com but you will find links to it everywhere that you need to and so uh now we are going to uh make a make a really hard turn from uh from the vintage world of gi joe into uh into the the modern so we uh we sort of began this podcast with the unproduced past of G.I. Joe. So now we're going to leap as far ahead as we can into the unreleased future of G.I. Joe, starting with things that have yet to be released, and I think we're going to fold that into things that still might never get released. 
in one way or another. Uh, so we're going to start with some some figures that Pat got his hands on, which you might have seen doing the rounds on eBay and on the forums. The difference is that Pat has some comparison picks that you won't find anywhere else. So we're going to start with the Retaliation Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. Pat, do you want to uh, do you want to kick this off since uh, since these are your um, your photos? Uh, sure. I just, you know, I, I'm happy to have gotten early samples of these. I think that any time that we're looking at uh, this sort of thing, it's important not just to think of it as a review, but as more of of it more as a preview. I really think that showing stuff early uh, is great because it gives us the chance to get a look at something in in a lot of detail the way that a, a fan would want to look at it. But at the same time, if we see something that's not so great in here amongst these things, we also have to keep in mind that these may not be the final items on the shelves. I think that the G.I. Joe uh, Resolute figures probably the best examples of things that showed up online in huge numbers and really were not the quality you know the peak of quality as as what has were actually put in the box and put on the shelves well not on the shelves but you know online available to us um but these you know i don't really have any snake eyes and storm shadow i don't really see a way to improve them i mean they're great i mean there's been a lot of talk about reduced articulation and these guys aren't suffering from that at all. They're the ninjas. I think that the proportions are, of them are, are great. I also think that one of the things that a lot of co uh, collectors look at is not just for them to have articulation in certain areas, but for that articulation to actually be useful. You know, it, it doesn't really help to have an elbow joint in there and have the elbow only be able to bend 10 degrees. You want it to be able to bend 90 degrees or more so that you can put rifle in his hands or put him in whatever pose you want to. And both of these figures, you know, they hit home runs as far as that goes you know, from whenever I was playing around with them and checking them out in different poses. They really can do a lot. I mean, I, I posed snake eyes in kind of a kicking motion in here. And if you look at the picture of it that I took, he's not standing on a battle stand. And my angle may be a little bit weird, but he was actually balancing on one foot. And the reason why I was able to get him to balance on one foot, now granted, he fell probably 10 seconds later, but he did balance relatively well, and it was because of that new new style ankle joint. I like the new ankle joint. I don't necessarily think it's improvement over the old ones. I think it's a different option over the old ones because the old ankle joints, I think that the hose could point out to the sides, whereas these ones can kind of just allow the foot to pivot, which really does give uh, the figure a little bit better chance of stabilizing without the use of a stand. So that, that's definitely a nice thing, in my opinion. And both of these figures are great. Uh, I didn't get all of the accessories for certain, so when you're looking at the pictures, I wish that I could put all of the accessories on them. Snake Eyes' gun fits so well in his hand. For a second, I actually thought it was glued in, but it's not. It just fits in there and, and doesn't pop out with it, you know. So it's great. But, you know, what What does anyone else think of these? I I think they're they're... They're already just superior to... I, I've just never been a huge Rise of Cobra action figure fan, as some of you know, as we've had this talk before. And I think that these are these are just so much more what I would have wanted from Rise of Cobra figures in the... They're not... They're, uh, you know, there's no silly trench coats. They're, they don't look like waiters. You know, they don't have silly tennis shoes. 
they're sleek and they're, you know, as interesting as I think they can be. I do think, and maybe it's just these pictures, but I do think that the the crotch to neck ratio of snake eyes looks a little stretched. Like he looks a little long between his upper and lower torso combined. Like he, I don't know if it's just like, if it's just the photos or he just seems kind of long or maybe just has shorter legs than I, I don't know. He seems a little misproportioned there, but otherwise I think that uh, he's certainly better than, than most of the quote unquote movie accurate figures we got in Rise of Cobra, um, which to have another snake eyes that is pretty decent is, is hard to come across. Like you, I'm surprised they can still do a decent Snake Eyes after the Commando one uh, kind of blew all the others away. You also provided us with uh, with comparison picks from the uh, three-pack, the Snake Eyes, and I don't know, I think I like those equally, seeing them next to each other. You know, again, for, uh, well, the, the three-pack head is a little weird. Uh, but other than that, I actually really dig them for what they are. Um, you know, the, uh, the Storm Shadow sort of caught my eye when the press photos went up, and... Obviously, the press photo Storm Shadows is a little better than this final one, but I'm happy with it. You, know, you speak of uh, coming across Snake Eyes that kind of blow you away. You don't don't come around very often. It seems like we say that every like three or four years. We had the, uh, the Spy Troops super articulated Snake Eyes, and then that got blown away by the Valor versus Venom Snake Eyes that came with the two pack with the, uh, the Swamp Viper, and then we had the 25th anniversary one that came out. And now we have this one. It just seems, yeah, it's, I, I, I get a little bleh after a while. I mean, no matter how cool they make it look, it's still just another Snake Eyes. And I really can't get any further than that, no matter how cool they make it from here on out. Well, I guess I'm a little different from that because I'm kind of a Snake Eyes fanboy. And, you know, my favorite time of reading the comics is you know, during the Ninja Force era. So I'll probably be booed out of the room for that, but... I'm always up for a new interpretation of Snake Eyes if I think it's uh, going to impress me. And I have to say, these uh, retaliation figures are definitely doing the job. Like the Storm Shadow 2, not so big on the three-pack one with that gray on the face. So I'm kind of glad we have an option that's a little different from that. Even then, you know, it's always something different you can derive out of these iconic looks and tweak them a little. The iconic is just, yeah, we get another black Snake Eyes. I like seeing... You know, I, I love to see Snake Eyes in different things. That, that, that Temple Guardian Snake Eyes, that, that appealed to me just because it was something different from just the regular black Snake Eyes. Or the, even though the Winter Operations set in uh, Valor vs. Venom was just a horrible six-pack, it at least had Snake Eyes in something different than just all black. That's absolutely true, but I think that, that, you know, with it being a movie, obviously they want to have Snake Eyes being his most iconic in the movie, so it kind of gives Hasbro the difficult task of finding a way to make an interesting figure, but at the same time keeping it as iconic as possible. You know, the, the whole Snake Eyes uh, just being overdone and done all the time, the, the Snake Eyes Duke Cobra Commander debate, actually, because those ones are, are the three that just continually have to be on the shelves. Um, I think that it's I think that it's a difficult task, and they, they definitely made a worthwhile figure. I think the fact that this is a Snake Eyes with a different ankle joint is as small as a difference as that is. It at least is something different. 
Um, it's a new sculpt on the visored snake eyes, which I think I still actually, as far as visors go, I prefer the one that came out in the uh, Pursuit of Cobra. That head, the alternate head with the visor, I thought, you know, it's going to be difficult to surpass. So I think this one does a nice job of looking the way that he looks in the previews. I mean, it's going to be a nice figure for kids to get and for them to be, you know, experiencing how much fun it can be to, you know, to post snake eyes. I did want to touch upon what Phil mentioned on the uh, Storm Shadow with the way that his mask is done. There's something about that that, and I'm not going to necessarily say that it's the greatest version of this character, but it kind of reminds me of the way the uh, Night Creepers looked in the Valor vs. Venom era. It almost looks like that three-pack Storm Shadow is going to be you know, an ideal candidate for you know, a, a pot of writ dye. You know, toss him in there and, and make yourself some Night Creepers kind of thing. Because that, to me, is what he looks like. He looks like the Night Creepers from Valor vs. Venom. I, I would love if they took either... If they took that Storm Shadow and turned him into a Night Creeper and took this other Storm Shadow and maybe did, like, a Night Creeper leader of some sort, I'd be happy with those repaints. I'd be just, like... It, it'd be better than if they just did, you know, a Black Storm Shadow or a Red Storm Shadow. Like, if they just, just sort of put some new heads on there and maybe like a nice sort of cowl or something. I don't know. Um, I, when I first saw the press photos for the single pack storm, I was like, please turn that into a night creeper, please. Like just something sleek and something interesting with like, you know, new parts. And so I, I'm completely with you on that. I'd, I'd be okay with that. Even if it wasn't uh, a raw, like classic eighties, I'd be happy with, with these turning into night creepers. You can never have enough night creepers. Just for the record, I hated that Night Creeper mold. The legs were too long. I think that's because of the fact that they originally planned on putting another swivel joint in the hip, and that got scrapped. So the upper, you know, the thigh ended up being extremely long for what that figure was. And, yeah, it got used a lot, too. That brings us to the, the next uh, figure on our list, which you've seen it before. You've seen it on eBay and uh, you've seen a few in-hand photos, but you haven't quite seen it like this in hand as Pat was able to get his paws on the, uh, the Joe Trooper, uh, but with the blue mask and blue cape as shown at uh, Toy Fair and in the press photos before Toy Fair. And I, I just out the gate want to say that I like this version so much better than the green one, even though all I'm seeing on the forums is how everyone wants the green one. Oh, what, let it be green and tan, and let it be green and tan, and let it be green and tan. I think the blue one is so much better. I think that the blue one uh, is interesting. I think it, it, it begs a lot of questions, and it, uh, I just think aesthetically it, it looks better. I think that you know, that's what would have caught my eye on a shelf, whether I was a child or a collector. I think, I don't know. I just think it's so much better. I think it passes for a mask figure. I think it passes for a Joe figure. I think it passes for spy troops. I think it passes for, I, I just think having a little bit of color is better than just having, you know, something I can, you know, turn on Halo and get. Um, so I think this blue is so much better and I'm so happy that Pat was able to get his hands on one. Um, and, uh, you know, but we did see a carded sample through the club, which Justin posted up on General's Joe's, which does beg the question, which one are we getting? But I'll let Pat sort of, sort of talk about that since he and I are on the same page in that regard. I think that the question really is, 
you know, what was the reason for it and why was it changed and when was it changed? Because obviously the Toy Fair, you know, at Toy Fair, the ones that we were looking at were blue. Then suddenly these tan ones come out. I think it could could make sense that Hasbro's thinking, well, you know, blue is associated with Cobra. So it makes sense for it to not be blue um, and for it to be a tan cape and collar and uh, helmet, gas mask helmet that he comes with. So I could see the one that's being produced being the tan one, but at the same time, I also could see maybe there's some sort of connection with, you know, who knows what, um, as far as the story goes, why they may be wearing blue, which I, I don't, I don't know anything. It's just, you know, I've seen the trailer like everyone else has. Basically, I, I think that the, the tan one kind of makes sense. That's the one that I was guessing was the one that, that was coming out. But I also think that the blue one could end up being it because, you know, the G.I. Joe Club did show the carded one. and But sometimes the, the, the truth is about seeing things carded is that those aren't necessarily the final versions either because, as everyone may remember, we saw the Cobra Commander with hoses and he didn't end up coming out with hoses. I think of probably... I mean, I can't think of them, but I do remember about... Uh, 12 different times within Rise of Cobra that there were figures shown carded that ended up having tiny, tiny differences with them whenever they came out. Um, Ice Viper. I know somebody who opened up their Ice Viper that had a black visor on it, and that figure didn't end up coming out with a black visor. Yet all the early pictures of it did have that. I mean, there, there were a lot of differences in the Rise of Cobra toys that were shown on the carded figures, and then whenever they came out, they were the other color. So this could just be a case like Cobra Commander's Hoses, where it's a really obvious difference that everyone's going to remember, but maybe the one that was shown carded is not the one that we're going to get. I don't know. It's really hard to tell that at this point in the game. Well, I mean, on the, on the Hasbro tour, we saw carded samples of you know, what would later be Pursuit of Cobra figures on Rise of Cobra cards with, like, you know, Pursuit of Cobra stickers, you know, real nice foil purple triangular stickers. Like, a lot, you know, enough went into it that they had Pursuit of Cobra stickers on the Rise of Cobra packaging. You know, there's things like the Arctic Snake Eyes, which, you know, is uh, the canceled Arctic Snake Eyes, which, you know, is uh, is one of those figures that, you know, is it seriously just sort of feels like it's one step removed from having carded samples out there because um, of how finished it was with all the accessories. And, you know, it's one of the more sort of available ones, or at least was from China, where Cobra Commander with hoses, I mean, you know, there's like less than 30. So, you know, it does beg that this could just be a, a photo that the club was sent or you know, that they just sort of have been sitting on for a while waiting for permission to post pictures or that they're just, they just haven't taken a nice carded sample picture of the tan one. I don't know. I, I tend to think that we won't see the blue one. I know people have suggested it's a variation. People have suggested it's a running change, but I, I just think it does. I don't know. The, the fact that no blue ones have shown up except through you, Pat, and uh, the fact that the tan ones have just been bombarding ebay i don't know i'm gonna i'm going to lean towards the blue one is not a variation or a running change but just a, a scrapped concept as these film toys are prone to have i'm gonna agree
agree with Gary and say that it probably is just a, a pre-production item. I think that another clue to this uh, resides in the fact that when we looked at the Toy Fair uh, pictures, weren't those hand-painted items? And a lot of times the hand-painted things, you know, the hand-painted one I believe is blue. And if there is a tan one, why wouldn't the tan one have been shown? Maybe that's because they aren't going with tan, but I would be inclined to think that the change to it being tan probably happened later on, so it's the more recent one, if that makes sense. So as of Toy Fair, they probably were thinking blue, and that's probably why the few of them that popped up that I got, you know, that may be why those even exist but the change has probably already been made for them to be tan i mean anybody who's you know around for the the 25th and especially the rise of cobra figures remembers things you know that tons of small color changes that just happened along the way and i think this is one of them i think that he's going to show up in the stores with the tan coat but i could be wrong i could be entirely wrong if you remember way back in 2007 when wave 3 came out there was a very hard, hard to find yellow stalker who came out first and was quickly replaced by the darker green stalker there's always the outside chance that these may show up in retail maybe not in great numbers but always a slim possibility the uh, the future grails the line it's not too silly to speculate that up next we are going to be discussing the the cobra trooper with the the, the parachute. Does anyone else get a sort of renegades-y feel from this figure? Just like a generic sort of trooper with the giant helmet? I, I think it's just the giant helmet that screams renegades at me. Of course, he also screams 91 snake eyes, but that's a whole different story. I don't know. I don't think in hand the, the helmet feels as giant as it does appear in pictures because I think that part of the reason why in pictures it looks so big is that it's that darker blue and it stands out especially on the figure I got since it doesn't have the web gear that is not for the parachute because the parachute is a separate uh, is a separate piece than the actual figure's web gear which I, I didn't get so in the pictures the figure is missing that so it kind of has this dark blue you know where it's not wearing the parachute just kind of has this dark blue helmet on that doesn't have any sort of color throughout the rest of the figure, oh. that dark blue. So I think that the, the helmet just really sticks out for that reason. So, I mean, that to me is one of the things to keep in mind. I think this is a good figure. It is one of the ones that has lost a bit of articulation. I think that uh, there's been a lot of discussion because his ankles in some pictures look like there's a spot where maybe they could have put in some articulation. And I think that is exactly what it is. It's a spot where they could have put in some articulation, but they didn't. I think that it's... um. You know, probably in a sculpture sheet or something, it was probably drawn that way. And where they made the cost cut, they left the designs as they were. That's probably why some people are a little bit confused on him. But he is missing the uh, leg articulation. But I have to say that uh, it doesn't stop me from wanting this figure. I think that the real working parachute is awesome. A cloth parachute is something that the G.I. Joe line has been missing for pretty much forever. This may be the best parachute that the Joes have ever gotten. You know, many of us have probably folded up 
the parachutes that went into the uh, Halo mail-in set or that you had to cram into the back of a Sky Striker or one of those silver ones that you had to cram into the uh, Sky Patrol figures or one of the convention figures or, you know, any of a number of the plastic parachutes that have come out over the years. And there's just something incredibly nice about this parachute to just kind of, you know, fold it over just as you would anything else cloth and know that you're not putting permanent creases in it or that you don't have to necessarily care for it a certain way. It's just very nice. Prior to this, I had to retrofit uh, the guard figure we got from, from the, the convention, the 12-inch one, so it was quite a big parachute. So this is a lot more to scale parachute for my smaller figures. The other thing I should mention is that this being an early sample, uh, if you want a really good figure, you might want to steer away from it because the pouch on the front, I think it's a backup parachute. Is that what that is? Um, it's it's not glued on, so it doesn't stay on the parachute harness very well at all. And I do believe that this is the same parachute harness. I know we talked about this in a previous episode. I believe this is the same parachute harness that Captain America comes with. I don't have a Captain America figure, so I wasn't able to compare in hand. But after I got the Cobra in hand, I went to the store and you know picked one up and looked at it. And it attaches the same way. It looks like it's the same sculpt. The parachute pretty much works the same way. Um, it, it looks like they figured out something that would pass their safety tests and that would be, you know, beneficial to people playing with it. It's just, it's fun and it, it stays on there very well. I did take a picture. One of, the, one of the things I was concerned about was how the strings attach to the fabric of the parachute because you throw those things up several times. I've had, you know, the sticker on the plastic ones pop off. Not that I've played with them a ton, but, you know, at Con, you're playing around with them or whatever. And sometimes they pop off. Well, I was concerned about how these were actually attached to the parachute, wondering whether or not there'd be a lot of tearing or what the case may be. And they, there's actually a, a reinforced piece of fabric on it so that it looks like it's going to be quite sturdy. I, I, I'm just amazed that that much work went into the parachute, but so little work went into um, certain figures from the same line. They spent all their effort on the parachute. The only thing that I'm a little bit, that, that confuses me a little bit, is that, again, if you look at the Captain America figure that comes with this, they've done Captain America with it twice. Once for the Captain America line, and once for the Avengers line. And I don't think either one of those comes with as many accessories as this Cobra Trooper does, because he's got his own web gear. He's got two guns, which I think the first Captain America came with two guns. I could be wrong. But he's got the helmet, and, you know, it's, it's odd to me, because the Captain America figure is in a larger package, which puts him in the, uh, I don't know if they still call them deluxe figures, but puts him in a larger price point than the standard Captain America or Avengers action figures so it's almost strange that whenever they were looking at costs for retaliation that they ended up putting this parachute in here that in a different toy line you have to spend more money on and yet in the retaliation line one of the things that's a big issue is cost and that's the reason why you know the articulation is less inside the figures so I, I think that maybe when they were looking at the cost of the line they weren't necessarily looking to get them as cheap as possible but maybe they were looking at some things that they could lose in order to gain something else and I think this figure could be that way it's also kind of surprising with him because uh, if it were me I would put the parachute 
with a figure that isn't going to be selling five and ten at a time because now your whole toy lines become more expensive. They just put a parachute, which is a more expensive item, with an army builder. So people are going to want this figure packed out at a higher ratio, which to me means that the toy line as a whole now just became more expensive, not just this one figure. That kind of goes back to what I was saying, that I can't believe so much went into these parachutes in a line where, you know... uh like, all that work for the parachute, and then the figures just kind of, meh. I just keep looking at his helmet and thinking it's a hard hat. I don't know. I think Pat was a little too logical in his explanation there. He's probably going to get somebody uh, the design team in trouble from some of the upper up accountants. <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, we were listening to this podcast, and someone actually brought up a point. You're fired. Damn logistics. Get you in trouble every time. All right, so uh, let's 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 move on to something that people uh, haven't seen in hand yet. Although a carded image did surface, this actually has this is actually sort of an oddity. Um, not only was Pat able to get his hands on on Zartan, but one of the samples has. Well, I'll let, I'll let Pat describe the differences um, before I get into to. My questions about this. Uh, Pat, why don't you tell us uh, what we're looking at here with Zartan? Well, I actually got two different Zartan figures. One of the ones looks a lot like the one that was recently on eBay. Um, the other one does not. Uh, the two, the, the differences between the two, as far as I can tell, the bodies are the same. Uh, one that I got didn't come with any accessories. The other one came with um, maybe about half or more of the accessories that the figure is going to come with. The first one I got was missing the right hand. And the left hand is actually a different left hand than the one that I got with accessories. And I'm not sure if that's because somebody popped a hand on there thinking, well, you know, he doesn't have any hands, I gotta give him something. So maybe somebody out there who's uh, who's listening is gonna be able to look at the pictures of these and identify what this hand is. Um, I could not. Uh, it's just, there's been so many hands sculpted in the last few years that that maybe it is out there and it just isn't coming to mind to me. Um, it could have been anything. It's a it's a black gloved hand. I mean, there's been a ton of those. Um, it doesn't have, neither one of them has any added articulation as hands go. But the one that looks a little bit different does not have the trigger fingers pointing out. It's, it's not quite as detailed of a hand. So I'm not sure what the deal is with that one. It doesn't seem to be the one that we're getting. But the other important difference between the two figures that I got is that they have different head sculpts, and that's because Zartan comes with multiple heads. But the thing that's really interesting about the two different heads is that uh, they both have light piping, as we know Zartan's going to include. Um, but one of them has light piping for red eyes, and the other one has light piping for green eyes. One of them has hair painted on, the other does not. You can kind of look at the pictures that are on there. It looks like one of them maybe a flint head or a duke head i'm not sure what character zartan's trying to be when he's using this head but that's the one that has red eyes and it looked like the carded figure that they show uh included the head with the red eyes um but the package art showed the eyes glowing green i believe so that's kind of an odd thing i'm not sure if these two are going to have the same color light piping or if for the purpose of having the figure 
you know, feel a little more diverse for a kid if they all actually have two different colors of light piping, because that could be fun. Other than that, some interesting things about the figure is he has these weird posts coming off of his crossbow that uh, don't seem to fit directly into his back. I know I took a picture of them in his back, but they just kind of flop around whenever that crossbow is in there. So I'm not even certain that that's what that is for. The hood is a part of the web gear, so you kind of have to pop the whole web gear off in order to change out the heads. And then he does have a, a clip on his back that I'm still not quite sure what it's used for. If it is for the crossbow, I'm not sure how it clips on there. And it's kind of strange because he does have a sheath with two swords that goes in his backpack peg, but then he also has a quiver for some crossbow bolts that goes in his backpack hole. And I don't know, you know, I guess it's just kind of an option which one you choose to use. Uh, my Zartan which I won't go into too much detail on because I don't want to take away from your Zartans, but my Zartan had the green piping and had no hands. Yours has green piping and red piping on another one and strange hands. Do you think that maybe at the point, at some point, either they didn't have, they were having trouble with the hands? I mean, do you, I just think it's weird that mine came with no hands, yours came with weird hands or missing hands. I... I just think it's it's too much of a coincidence. Do you know what I mean? Certainly a possibility. I mean, the one that I got that does have hands, the hands do not seem fragile, but they do seem to be intricately detailed. And perhaps at some point they were a little fragile and they had to correct something. That's a distinct possibility. I probably also should mention what we just talked about uh, before with the package sample. Maybe even the one in the package is not the final item. So... I mean, it, it could be that Zartan is currently seeing uh, a few uh, revisions. Well, and, and then I hate to bring this up because then this just, but it, 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 it adds to the debate that um, also, as we discussed before, maybe the red and the green are a running changer of variation similar to the blue and the uh, tan Joe Trooper. That is entirely possible. Um, I, I would think that somebody would look more evil if they had the red eyes, but then they might look cool to have, like I said before, you know, just to have one head with red eyes and one head with green. I think that some of the earlier pictures that we saw, it was either the press photos or pictures at Toy Fair didn't even have the light piping in the top of the head at all. So uh, definitely Zartan's undergoing some differences. So... I, I, I guess I'm curious as to uh, is to the um, how the actual tooling and stuff goes for the light piping. As far as the light piping goes, it's it's kind of like it's kind of hard to see in pictures, but the eyes are a little bit sunken in. Yeah. So that the top of the head has a square in it, and then it it looks like they just kind of filled in the head, and it doesn't he doesn't look cross-eyed or anything. I did take pictures shining a light into the top of the head, so you can see how the light piping works, and uh, you know that they look good with his eyes shining. Uh, it would be really cool if somebody figured out a way to to put make a display that would shine that. You know, permanently. I am looking right now at the packaged uh, sample that the G.I. Joe Collectors Club posted on their website, which is a good picture to look at because if you compare the the picture of the toys on the card and 
the actual toys in the package next to that picture. It looks like in the picture, Snake Eyes is the the Snake Eyes head was clear originally, but then in the package, it looks like he comes with a solid one, and you can clearly see Storm Shadow's head without the hood on. On the package, didn't have light piping in it at all, and then the one that looks like they're going to make looks like it has has red light piping coming through the top of the head. So it definitely looks like Zartan's seeing a lot of changes, you know, probably for the better, that they're coming up with some things. I think I, I'm also missing his gun. That's probably the thing that attaches to his back because in their carded picture, he's got a, a gun in his right hand, and it definitely looks like it's about the size that would fit nicely there on his back, which is kind of a cool feature. Well, maybe the green one's related to Nanobat. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's Nanotan. We had to find the way to say the word nano one more time. Of course. Of course. Do we want to talk about how people seem to think that this is Renegade Zartan, oh. but I don't think it is? Yes. Uh, there, there's, there seems to be some debate about this being a Renegade Zartan, and it's not 100% unfounded. Uh, the deal is that people are thinking or assuming that this is a canceled Renegades figure. And, you know, I will concur that the... The, the, the web gear, the chest part, uh, is extremely reminiscent of Renegade's Zartan. But I don't see Renegade's Zartan anywhere else in this figure, um, especially in Pat's photos. I think it completely uh, shows that this is w- way too sort of uh, creepy and sort of, uh, you know, alien-esque of a Zartan to be the weird pudgy slash cowboy... Uh, you know, uh, weird bounty hunters Artan from from Renegades. You know, it's not that I don't see any similarities. I don't see enough similarities. His his uh, he doesn't have the bar across his eyes. He's way too slim. Maybe I'm biased because I I have a a Zartan that I can hold and look at and go. There's no way this is a canceled Renegades figure. It's it's nothing like the 30th anniversary figures we got. And I don't think it looks like Renegade Zartan at all. I think it's probably got, like, it's part homage. I think they were like, hey, we'll throw this here and we'll throw this there. But, you know, obviously it's not a movie-accurate figure as far as we know. But I don't think that this is a, a canceled Renegades figure to any degree. I just, I don't see it. I don't see it one bit. And I certainly don't think that they would, that a, 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 a 30th Renegade Zartan would have light piping in its head. I don't know. I think that's also part of the stretch that it's a canceled Renegades figure because I don't I don't light piping for Renegades figure makes absolutely no sense. If you were to stand this up next to any of the other Renegades figures, it just wouldn't even make any sense. Like it doesn't even it doesn't compute to any degree. So, yeah, I'm putting my foot down. There's no way this is a Renegades figure. The the reason why I would say it's not a Renegades figure is if you look at the press photos and the Toy Fair pictures, it's pretty clear that the production schedule of this figure was around the same time as the other retaliation figures. And I think that probably the reason why it has those hints about it is whenever they went to make a figure for retaliation, they probably wanted to base it on, you know, every previous version of Zartan and at the same time give us something a little bit different than what we've gotten before. And they probably, anything in this figure that that does evoke thoughts of Renegades is probably deliberate, but not because it's a a cancelled Renegades figure, but instead because when they're creating a retaliation Zartan, uh, they probably wanted, they probably want people to uh, make those connections in their mind. Not just the collector, but also the kids who've probably seen Zartan on the cartoon. 
Well, yeah, I mean, especially since we're probably not going to get Zartan in a suit with an old guy's head and a podium. You know, although we do have a podium and a suit that we could just throw a head on. So it's not, it's not impossible that we'll see one, but I highly doubt it. So, yeah, they'd want to do a, a Zartan all geared up. And it would make sense to do one that caters to people's sort of uh, associations with Renegades. And I totally get that. Like I said, I think it's purely an homage. I think too many people are just sort of convinced that they've, you know, and rightfully so. It's not, I mean, we know that we know that the figures we'll be talking about next are, you know, figures that were canceled at one point and now seeing the light of day again in retaliation. So it's not like it never happens. I just think it. there's just, there's, it's not that there's no... It's not that there's nothing about it that is Renegades. There's just not enough. Absolutely. And like I said, I mean, the hand-painted figures come along with the other hand-painted figures from Retaliation. So it seems pretty clear to me that the production schedule on it was roughly at the same time. Yeah. And honestly, with the the crossbreeding that they did in the 30th, where it was, they were really sort of, this is Renegades, this is 30th, like, that you'd think that, Someone at Con would have come back and gone, and that's a canceled Renegades figure, and there was nothing, like nothing, nothing to even like. No one had any anecdotes from, you know, uh, having a taco with someone on the design team, and they're like, speaking of tacos, that's a canceled Renegades figure. You know, nothing. Like, I just, I don't see it. I would really like a Jonathan Price action figure. Maybe that's just me. You know, imagine being able to have him. Threaten the G.I. Joe team, then turn around and threaten James Bond, and then turn around and fight some undead pirates. It'd be great. See, when I was when I was when I was little, I wanted pl- like my favorite He-Man action figure was Prince Adam, because it gave me the option of playing out scenarios, uh, not only true to the cartoon, but scenarios that didn't just involve like you know guys with swords. It gave me a chance to sort of experiment a little more with. Uh, you know the storylines I was playing with my toys. So Prince Adam was always with a big sword. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, but you don't no, but more of your lurid uh, E-Man fan fiction in here, buddy. <laughs> but but that's the thing is that having a it's kind of like the um, the the Destro in suit from San Diego was sort of like you know you could sort of act out the you know either scenarios from the film or just more sort of sort of down to earth scenarios so that you know. Then you slap the other head on him, and you can get a little more extreme. I, I, I think a Jonathan Bryce figure would be cool. I can't see kids getting into it, but maybe a, a San Diego ex- Oh, wait, we already have a San Diego exclusive. Can't do that. Hmm. We have a New York Comic Con exclusive coming up that we still don't know about. Well, except for the fact that one rumor says that Quinn will be the New York Comic Con exclusive, and then a rumor from the same person says that Hasbro will not be at New York Comic Con. And neither of those, I think they both make just as much sense as they don't make sense based solely, like, A, okay, yeah, Quinn is from the comics, Quinn can be a Comic-Con exclusive easy, and that would get him out there. You know, also, Quinn is sort of an odd choice for an exclusive because not many people know who Quinn is unless you've read the comics. B, that, you know, Hasbro not attending New York Comic-Con is obviously possible, it's not impossible, but the other half of that is is that it'd be really strange for Hasbro to miss another large convention that they've sort of always gone to anyways to reveal stuff and to just be there and have a presence. So, yeah, though. so for all that New York Comic Con exclusive talk, 
I, I can't tell what's what with the same person also saying, coming back from Toy Fair saying, and Hasbro won't be at New York Comic Con, even though before that I said that Quinn would be the exclusive. So because those both come from the same source, I don't even know what to think. Just crush my dreams. That's all. That's all you do. All right. Well, now we are going to move on to uh, onto something else that um, that hopefully those of you listening and viewing weren't expecting. And for once, uh, it's taken five five episodes, but for once I get to contribute something uh, to the podcast, uh, one of my finds, which was uh, uh, getting my hands on the uh, the Night Viper and Crimson Guard. I'm going to say out the gate that I believe that these are the canceled or hiatus 30th anniversary versions. I do not think that these are what the final retaliation versions will look like. I repeat, I do not think that this is what the final retaliation versions will look like. These came with blank stands, for one, and as we know, it seems retaliation figures might not come with stands. Also, uh, the paint wiping on the Crimson Guard seems sort of missing, except for on the boots. These just feel more sort of pre-retaliation than the images that we saw at Con. There's just subtle differences that ta- that I just I I just think that these are the the sort of canceled versions that uh, if you remember from episode two uh, we we revealed that Night Viper and Crimson Guard are in fact uh, uh, sort of holdovers from the 30th anniversary um, and then of course uh, a couple weeks later online uh, someone found a uh, an old Hasbro press release that said, you know, Night Viper and Crimson Guard for the 30th anniversary. And so we know for a fact that Night Viper and Crimson Guard were going to be in the 30th anniversary, and I think that's what these are, as I don't think these are the Wave 5 figures. What do you guys think of these? Well, I think it's obvious that the Night Viper is more of a direct-to-consumer homage than the 1989 release. And uh, honestly, I'm a little bummed by that. I kind of like the more unique chest strap that the uh, original one came with, with the knife across, rather than reusing the uh, Mars Industries officer web gear that he's got going on. I think that, honestly, I, I think that now seeing them again, they look a lot better than I initially thought they were going to. Um, one of the things I wasn't crazy about whenever I first saw pictures uh, from Toy Fair of these was the helmet on the Crimson Guard. Because, I, to be honest, I never was really all that happy with the Crimson Guard helmet from the 25th anniversary line. It looks it looks good enough, but it's got kind of a very narrow visor and almost a, a, a snout-like look to the lower mask portion. And the, the helmet is very, like, rounded. It, it didn't really look like a classic Crimson Guard to me. And when I saw the pictures from Toy Fair, it looked very squat and, and smushed and almost like it was wearing a bonnet to me. Yeah. But now that I've seen additional pictures, it looks so much better. Um, I, I definitely think that the, the mask portion of it looks more like the original Crimson Guard figure. The visor definitely has a wider look to it. This just looks to me like more of a classic Crimson Guard head. I think that really the head sculpt is probably the key feature of this figure, but there are other cool things. Um, People criticize it for having the legs of, you know, snake eyes, and that 
that is true that it does reuse legs, but it does also have the new parts on the sides. It's got a new holster in the right leg, and in the left leg, it kind of has this cool sheath for a knife that isn't placed directly on the left side of the leg, which is kind of awesome, to be honest. I mean, it's definitely uh, something that I wouldn't mind seeing on more figures in the future. Uh, and then the sword, he kind of has like this combat look, but then they give him this sword that, you know, that hangs down in the back and gives it this appearance of, you know, just that touch of of a dress uniform that makes it look like a Crimson Guard that actually has to go out into battle. And also the fact that the old Crimson Guard uniform is peeking out from underneath that vest. It's definitely cool. I, I, it, I didn't like it at first entirely, but now that I'm looking at it in additional photos, I'm definitely sold. I, I want one. I'm not still not crazy about the idea. I'm worried that there's going to be paint wiping on the boots, which is out of character for a Crimson Guard who would keep himself clean no matter what. Um, but but I like it. It's definitely a cool design and something that seems fitting of the 30th line, and I think that they're throwing us a bone for sure by putting this out there now. I will also say that I like these a lot more than I did when I first saw the images from, from Toy Fair. I'm still not really happy about certain things. I don't I would not, if these showed up in the 30th anniversary, like to me, they almost feel like holdovers from the last two A's of Pursuit of Cobra more than they feel like holdovers from the 30th. Just because I think we were so spoiled in the 30th that I don't, you know, if you stand these up next to sci-fi and airtight, I just don't see it. Like, I could see these standing up next to Croc Master and Crazy Legs, but not, not 30th. The Night Viper I'm still kind of angry about, I I think he's sort of the quote-unquote wrong homage, as Phil was talking about. Um, but I do like them more than I thought I would, and I really like Night Viper's uh, helmet. Uh, maybe not the scope, but everything else attached to it. Although I will tell you that, and obviously these are pre-production samples, but you cannot get his helmet off once it's on. I think that at JoeCon there should be a contest to see who can get his helmet off, because it is not... It does not seem made for that that jungle viper head at all. It it it's so hard to get off that I actually like like chipped a nail trying to do it over and over again. I will say though that he seems to look really nice with uh, with jungle viper. Um, I took his I took a few pictures of him with jungle viper to uh, just because I it was the most obvious. If you notice, I did not take pictures of Crimson Guard next to Night Viper because I thought that was a different kind of obvious, but I did want to make sure I got Jungle Viper pictures uh, with Night Viper. But yeah, I do agree that the, the paint wiping on the Crimson Guard boots make no sense. It's not the first time that there's been something that Hasbro's put out um, that's just been like, really? Like, you know, you, you put that much into it and then you, you just sort of go too far. That's just too much detail. And honestly, it's the wrong detail. It just doesn't, it, not only does it look silly with his shiny pants, but it, it, as Pat said, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't, uh, doesn't mesh with the ideals of Crimson Guard at all. I, I, yeah, I, as Jared was saying on the second episode, which is the same episode where, where Pat uh, said he had an issue with the paint wiping on the boots, uh, Jared's like, you know, I kind of like this new approach to a Crimson Guard that he's sort of more aggressive, but I think, you know, aggressive or lack of aggression isn't exactly an ideal of the Crimson Guard where sort of neatness and being pristine is. 
So, you know, I can forgive one but not the other. Night Viper's pretty badass to me. I don't have, I don't see any problems with the Night Viper, so I don't really have much to say. I, other, the only thing I have a problem with is that damn ammo clip gun they keep putting on figures. It's like a dog gun where you like, you put it on the right side of his arm or the left side of his arm, it never quite fits, and it like hangs off at an weird angle. The one that comes with the Crimson Guard. Hey, well, here, here's a question for you, Josh, because I was actually thinking about you when I was taking pictures with the Jungle Viper. You're you're in agreement with me that Jungle Viper is one of the greatest G.I. Joe figures ever, correct? Yes. All right. So when you, when you see a quote-unquote 30th Night Viper incarnation next to what you and I both agree is one of the greatest G.I. Joe figures of all time, who obviously draws lots of resemblances and invoked a sort of what we in, invokes an updated Night Viper. When you see them together, do you still have no complaints about Night Viper? No, no complaints. More complaints. I mean, do you, do you know what I'm saying? I, mean, it, it, I, I like the look. It, it, it's got a classic look. It also meshes the uh, the DTC version, which I also like. It it works for me. It's, it's I'll buy like five or six of them. See, I when I when I when I had them next to each other, I mean there's things about there's things about Jungle Viper as as amazing as I think Jungle Viper is. There are certain things I don't like I don't like the paint wiping and I think that some of the the tooling could have sort of been a little sleeker, but I mean when you're working with something like Jungle Viper, what can you do other than the way it was done? I mean, you know, I'm sure maybe there's certain things they could have gone back and if now now that they've seen it, they could have been like, oh, well, we could have done it this way. But I still think it's a phenomenal figure. But having it stand next to Night Viper, Night Viper just, he seriously just looks like, you know, POC Crazy Legs or POC Crockmaster. Like, yeah, it's an update, but it's not the update I would have chosen standing next to Jungle Viper. So I was just curious if you really still thought that you had no complaints with them standing next to each other when one is supposed to be the definitive update and the other one's an all new figure, you know, is it supposed to be a definitive update though? Is it just well, that's sort of, I, that was sort of the gist they gave us with the 30th anniversary. It was to celebrate, uh, similar to what the, when the 25th was supposed to be this, the massive updates of eighties characters, the 30th was sort of present. I mean, look at the other 30th characters. You have, uh, cartoon accurate rent, uh, renegades, you have uh, Renegades with a sort of a new twist on them. You have the Storm Shadow, the Sci-Fi, the Airtight, the Techno Viper. You know, compare this to Techno Viper. You know what I mean? Techno Viper's not a perfect figure, but he's a pretty damn good update. And then you look at Night Viper. I don't know. I think he's lacking, but I, I do think he looks better than I thought he would. So I'll give him that. I think it's still a cool figure. I'm not saying that. Like, if you're like, hey, do you think that's cool? Yes, I think it's cool. Just like I said on episode two, it's not the Night Viper I've been hoping for since uh, since I sort of you know knew that one day they would have to do a Night Viper. I think that he's the subject of a lot of scrutiny because the fact that if this figure had come out uh, you know several years ago or or even had been done similarly during the twenty fifth line, we probably all would have loved it and bought a bunch of them. But I think that figures that look like classic figures or are trying to evoke that look are coming out not as fast as we would like them. And so whenever they do, they're the subject to a lot of scrutiny. There are certainly a lot of figures in the 25th line that reuse parts and don't do them nearly as well as this Night Viper. Um, I do think that he does look more like the direct-to-consumer one as far as the legs go, 
but I would have to disagree as far as the helmet goes. The helmet is definitely the original Night Viper updated down to uh, the way that the the jaw of in front of you know the area in front of the mouth looks. That detail is just like the original. The way that the head works inside there for the eyes, I, I think it works you know pretty perfectly. And even the, the the choice of web gear that they chose, the shoulder straps definitely. They're not exactly the same as the original figure, but they kind of evoke it just as, you know, they did in the 25th line looking for parts that just kind of weren't perfect but worked. Uh, it, it, it Not only does he have the shoulder pads on both arms, uh, you know, on both, both shoulders, obviously, but he also has coming down from the right shoulder and kind of slinging to the, the, the character's left side. A strap going there so i think that whenever they were choosing the web gear they definitely had in mind the version one night viper i think the area that does look like the direct to consumer one is obviously the legs that have those uh pads on on the uh upper legs out kind of to the side and they still lack that rifle on the leg that sam had uh, poked fun of me for before because uh it's not too realistic to sling a, a rifle to your your leg but for me as far as a play feature goes that was one of the key things i loved about night viper the other thing i think that they could have done could have been better about was the backpack the original night viper had this cool tech looking backpack that a lot of people thought kind of had two different antennae sticking up when in fact if you look closely one of them is a knife sticking down into the backpack and the other one is an antennae but but it definitely has like this cool tech looking look to it that this one doesn't have at all um i think that maybe they could have chosen something different for that but it does have an area where you can kind of uh, attach something that will kind of give it a decent look i don't think that it's a, a bad choice for the figure i just think that it doesn't necessarily evoke version one all right so here's my question because it's obviously going to be on some of the listeners minds do you think that pending that they've they've already been quote-unquote canceled or held back once and i know josh touched on this on episode two when he talked about the fate of most later waves Yes, we know that these things are, you know, tooled up and done. And yes, we know that they are carryovers from, from another line, if not two. I mean, who knows how far back these concepts go. What do you think the odds are for the listeners who are obviously curious and want to get their hands on these figures? What do you think the odds are that these might get canceled again? I think it has a lot to do with how well this movie goes over with, with the, the fans. With, not just with the fans, but like the public in general. If this movie is – and it, it's just – like Aliens 2 compared to Aliens 1 or Alien, whatever. I mean, you, you might see a big... They might be rushing to get more waves out. But if, it, if the movie sucks, then, yeah, these are probably going to go away. You mean if it Alien Resurrections? Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah. Well, I mean, here's the deal. Is that because they're iconic and because they're, they, they're not just, like, super kitbash, you know... Insanity repaints. It's not like it's just, uh, you know, Pursuit of Cobra Zartan with a new helmet and a parachute, and all of a sudden it's crazy legs. You know, well, what do you think the fate would be? Do you think the fate would be uh, they get thrown into a concept? Do you think the fate would be they get thrown into a seven pack? Or do you think they would just end up pushed again into some other wave of some other Joe line somewhere down the line? What saves these figures is the fact that there are no movie likenesses 
to worry about later down the road, which is why you can put like that uh, the Star Viper basically up from the, last, the very tail end of the line out to raw stores because you don't have to pay for a movie like this to put that head out. I think we might see these figures. Now, whether or not you can only get them on the internet or at Ross is a matter of debate, but I think they'll still come out. I think they will as well. I think that if you look at, again, more recent Hasbro movie toy lines, not just G.I. Joe, you'll see that there are several waves that usually get released. Usually it seems to me that what they do is, I mean, it's called Wave 1 and Wave 2, but they usually hit really early on at retail i expect to see wave one and two you know within the same month if not the same week and uh, you know moving on in throughout the other waves uh, i definitely see them happening i mean if anybody else has looked at the thor line there definitely were some later figures that were hard to find but it wasn't that hasbro didn't make them or that they weren't available at all i think the smart thing to do if it were me Maybe the first couple waves you, you pick up in the store, but those later waves, once it starts getting to wave three and four and, and definitely five, probably be good a good time to uh, take a look at one of the online retailers and probably pre-order them just, you know, to, to, to get them, you know, however, however way that you can. I mean, a couple extra bucks to me per figure isn't that much whenever... Some of this stuff, whenever it shows up at retail, it's 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 really difficult to find. I know that I'm still chasing down a Heimdall figure from Thor, and I probably never will find it. Uh, they showed up in Canada, I'm told, but the United States, they showed up at Toys R Us a long time ago, and then they never hit again. And I don't know what happened to them. And, I mean, you never know. These could end up that way, but as Josh pointed out, they're also prime candidates for some other uh, package brand. They don't necessarily have to show up in retaliation. What's going to happen with G.I. Joe once the movie's done? You know, maybe the movie will have so much momentum, it'll be like Transformers, and Hasbro will see a, uh, a market for these kinds of designs. But, you know, maybe it'll be another situation where they need to make sure that they're watching out for the fans. Probably a mix of both, is what I'm guessing. And... You know, there's going to be a place for these. I, I don't think that I'm really fearing that they won't get made. It's just a matter of, you know, how quickly can I get them and uh, what online retailer should I use? Speaking of Transformers, that's a line that's kind of uh, subject to both ends of the spectrum there, where, you know, first and second movie, the lines are so popular that they have to scramble to come up with more product. Right. Well, then you get to the third movie, where it's you know still a very popular line, but at the end of the day, they Hasbro ended up canceling the last couple of waves and ended up they're now in limbo. There, there have been two movie lines that Hasbro's made that have been historically affected what we received afterwards. And the first one, like Phil said, was Transformers One, where for the first time in a long time, they Hasbro did not make enough product to satisfy the Christmas demand and. When you went and saw Toy House before Christmas, a week, two weeks before Christmas, for Transformers toys, and there was nothing to be had. And that made Hasbro start to overproduce what they wanted to do for movie stuff. And then really it kind of culminated with Iron Man getting, what, Pat, do you know how many figures we got in Iron Man 1? Was it like, or was it uh, like 50, 60 different four-inch figures? Was Iron Man 1 or Iron Man 2? Iron Man 2, I think it was, wasn't it? It was Iron Man 2, yeah. Yeah. And after that, 
it was like, okay, we, we go out of the market. And next, you know, a couple of years later, we get Thor and Captain America where we get, well, Thor got, what, 15 figures. So it's, uh, it's, it's still, we're, we're seeing the post-Iron Man with the G.I. Joe movies this year, whereas Rise of Cobra was the post-Transformers. So that's why we, we're, we're seeing a lot more, a lot less figures than we, we would have been previous years. So, so there you have it. The, uh, you know, we've, we've managed to bookend this episode with, uh, with unproduced, uh, 80s concepts and, uh, you know, uh, yet to be released and also unreleased and now hopefully will be released concepts. We've covered everything from sort of eco-warriors-y, toxo-labby, uh, thing to, uh, you know, unproduced hawk concepts to mysteries of low light to uh other sort of pre-production art to uh you know upcoming retaliation figures to retaliation figures that were something else at some point so we've we've covered an absolute ton of shit we've covered a ton of bases on this episode and uh hopefully in that respect we have done some sort of a uh, a justice to uh, to th- this aspect of uh, collecting and discussion, at, at the very least, uh, have kept you, the listener slash viewer, entertained. Again, if it was confusing at all, we recorded the first half of the episode with uh, one team, and then now we've just recorded with Pat and Phil, and then Josh and myself again. Hopefully, it all makes sense. Uh, I will do my best to edit it so. So I guess now we will say goodnight. And so I will say goodnight either again or for the only time, depending on how it's edited. So good night. And uh, thank you for listening. And uh, now let everyone else say their, their whatnots. Good night, Ned. Uh, good night, everyone. Uh, and thanks for listening again. And thank you for, uh, thank all of you guys for, um, you know, putting up with me so late at night. Oh, totally worth it. Only 1 a.m. here. It's only 3 a.m. here. Josh, you going to say goodnight again or because you already... No, I already said goodnight.